Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 130. It should probably be around 160 or something, but uh, we, I just can't seem to get my shit together. Oh, honey. Well, it's, uh, look, the work thing is finally just about done. The thing released this week, but Yay. yeah, last weekend was a long weekend, and we got away because I desperately had to not see the Crisis on Infinite Midlives fucking home office for a day or two. And by the time we got back... I was functionally unconscious for several hours and uh, just it's like, okay, we're going to talk about Luke Cage. I'm like, we watched it a week ago. I haven't got any of my thoughts together. <laughs> I literally almost disintegrated. We were sitting at the board. I'm like, I can't do it. I don't have anything to talk about right now. I'm physically and emotionally exhausted. I need some time, goddammit. It's entirely possible that this podcast is is turning into um, not not a comics one, but just you're, you're narrating the unraveling of your own life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. I can't do everything anymore. I need things to slow down so I can just sit here and tell dick jokes about comics. That's really all I've ever wanted to do is tell dick jokes about comics. It's not a big goal. It's not an exciting goal. It's not a goal that most people can relate to or understand or even respond to without backing away slowly. But it's mine, goddammit, and that's what I want. Well, you know, while we're on the topic of sausage, can we talk about <laughs> the thoroughly inadequate sandwich I had for lunch today? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I guess. Right, so you know how if you, if you order... Um, a sausage sub, and it should come with like peppers and onions and stuff. And it's it's advertised as a hot sub. You would expect that you are receiving a cooked sandwich of some sort. Yes, uh, I would make that assumption. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> they, did they give you the raw sausage? Did they raw dog you? The the sausage was room temperature and seemingly cooked. The peppers and onions were disturbingly raw. <laughs> So it's like I bit into it, and it was like just a mouthful of sadness, just flaccid sadness. (laughs) We've been doing this show for two minutes and 44 (laughs) seconds, and it's gone completely off the fucking rails. People are calling 911 right now. In Britain, they're calling 999 and urging airstrike, airstrike while they're weak and confused. I just wanted to interject that, because sometimes it's not all about you. (laughs) All right, fuck me. I, <laughs> bad sandwich. I, it was it was oh. a sadness sandwich. It was just a mouthful of sad. The, the, okay, fair enough. He was wrong and you knew it. A terrible wrong sandwich. Sad sausage. <laughs> For a $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. Actually, I don't think that's what it was. That's not uh, exactly <laughs> that's on point. That's not what I wanted. That's a... Uh, I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. I'm just hitting everything that's even remotely uh, a sausage joke at this point. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. And that's our show, everybody. This has been... <laughs> well, the important thing, though, I think last weekend is that you, you got away. Yes. And with, without that, yeah, it's... I, I really enjoy the new job, but Christ, it's sucking the bone marrow out of me. Yeah, that's no good. But it should slow down now. Thank God. <laughs> and and I got a, a personal best at Centipede last weekend, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we went to Fun Spot, which if you've listened to the show for any length of time, I'm sorry. But <laughs> if you have, you're aware we go. We try to go there once every year or a couple times a year. And yeah, it's the, the home of the 
American Classic Arcade Museum. Translation, they got a lot of old video games that'll yes. let you play them. It's a, if you've seen The King of Kong, that's the, the arcade where the big showdown between Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell took place. <laughs> so, yeah, if you ever wanted to be around that level of just seething testosterone, <laughs> like when a Pasaki, New Hampshire. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we've been going, what, about five or six years? Yeah. And uh, it's weird because you go there and there's certain favorites. Amanda always goes directly for pole position and centipede. Yep. Uh, I tend to do the vector graphic Star Wars, Tempest if they've got it. Not lately, though. Yeah, Tempest hasn't been there last, I think, three times we went. And I think it's just punishment because the time before that, it was set so it never needed a quarter. (laughs) So you could just go up and press the button and play it. It wanted you to get get time in with it because it knew it was going to that that farm upstate. (laughs) (laughs) One last game of catch before the (laughs) shotgun. Is that what you're saying? Or vector graphics games go to die. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's uh, games do come and go. For a while, it was uh, there was everybody knows Tron, and they have Tron. But there was a a second game in the mid '80s, Discs of Tron. Oh yeah, yeah. Which was uh, yeah. You'd be in the forefront with three discs to jump back and forth, Mm. and it was much more like the disc game that was in the actual movie. Yeah. Which, but you hardly ever saw it anywhere, and it turns out I think you hardly ever saw it anywhere because it broke down if you looked at it funny. <laughs> because yeah, it was there like the first couple times we went, and then they pulled it, and then they put it back, and it's been missing in action for a while. Mm. The last time we went before this, all the pole position machines were dead. Yes, yeah, I, I was sad about that, but it gave me um, more time with Centipede. <laughs> That's so- actually not really because there was a guy that was he must have been some sort of professional like record breaker or something because he just like would not get off that machine. And I'd go by like, that's like a six-digit centipede score. Is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) That guy must be drowning in (laughs) poons. Maybe. (laughs) His roller hand is strong. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, since since we've been back a few days, I've gotten past my normal phase of as soon as we get back, I start uh, pricing MAME cabinets. Yeah. And it's it actually wasn't as bad at this time because we do it enough that I'm recognizing I've got a frustration tolerance for old arcade games of about three days. By the end of our third day there, I am ready to get in the car to come back because if you didn't grow up playing '80s video games, you know if 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 you're a younger rascal and you've only ever played on say Xbox, you know these 120 hour open world video games with save points whenever you want them with your consoles and your soft padded seats yeah and, <laughs> and, and you're up up down down left left right right 4000 lives the old video games they were bar games and arcade games the purpose was to get you there and get you the fuck off so another sucker could put their quarter in it had you had to last exactly long enough for it to feel like it might be fair. <laughs> and once it tickled that, oh, I'm not being fleeced like at a roulette table feeling, <laughs> then it would kill you dead yeah. and let the next sucker go in there and try it. Or occasionally you would have a staggeringly good run and, and never be able to repeat it. You don't know what you did. <laughs> I had that this past weekend. <laughs> Elevator action, a game that nobody thinks fondly of. Yep. It's nobody's idea of a classic game. It's not, you know, certainly I don't have to wait in line like for Pac-Man that I have to sometimes. I've been playing that game since I was 14 years old. The, the whole purpose of the game is you're a secret agent and you <laughs> you start at the top of the building 
as one does because it's easier to get into the top of the building. Of course. Then you have to get all the way down the building, finding the red doors to steal the secret plans while other secret agents try to kick you in the taint or shoot you in the face. <laughs> and there's, they call it elevator action. There's elevators, duh. But there's also uh, escalators. I've been playing this since I was 14. I've never gotten out of the building. Never. Not one fucking time. <laughs> From from the arcades of upstate New York to the tourist areas of North Carolina and Florida, I've never gotten out of the building. <laughs> By God, I played like ten times this past weekend. Nine times, didn't get out of the building. That tenth, got out of the building twice. And I am never <laughs> going to play elevator action again for as long as I fucking live. It's not getting any better than that. <laughs> wow. They're not making a fucking movie about me. <laughs> My arch nemesis was the machine itself, and I walked away only hamstrung and said, it's never getting any better. Wow. These games are clearly not good for you. I don't know why we play them. Because uh, it's escapist, and you needed a vacation. It is awesome. I mean, yeah, for, for a minute, yeah, you're 16 years old, and... Your whole life's ahead of you. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing for me, it's its just such an immersively 80s experience, right down to we, we get the jacuzzi room at the hotel we stay at. Oh, of course. And it's its its one of those ones that's like constantly full. I think they chlorinate it. <laughs> oh, I hope so, because if you're really looking for that 80s feel, you, you want whatever's in that water to be thoroughly dead. You really do. <laughs> So, so I take advantage of, of of the jacuzzi room, and it's yeah, it's, it's such an eighties jacuzzi it, it, to the point where the guy said that he's actually going to be closing that room down so that he can use that jacuzzi for spare parts for the other jacuzzi. Oh yeah, it's because <laughs> you can't get the parts anymore. Well, at, at this point, half the free world, I guess, has jets in there, just tubs. Yes, how the other half lives. Yeah, <laughs> and goddamn rich folk. <laughs> I'm over here showering like a dope. <laughs> And it's a, as long as you're in the arcade museum part, there's like three floors at Fun Spot. And the top floor is, yeah, it's all the old games and mini golf. If you take the wrong turn, you wind up in the free party room. Yeah. Surrounded by fucking five year olds and mucus. And <laughs> they've done a pretty good job of separating it off. So yes. you, you've really got to be just sort of punch drunk and brain damaged to wind up over there. But it's possible. It is possible. I mean, if you if you decide that you want mini golf bad enough, you'll wade through the toddlers. Yeah, I've never wanted mini golf <laughs> bad enough. A penicillin, a blood transfusion, I think I'd have to really weigh. Do I really want it? Can I hold off until... I think the blood will regenerate. Christ, if, if Billy would just hit the fucking pinata, I could get my blood. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in the actual arcade floor, yeah, it's all generally adults. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's relatively quiet with uh, the same 1580 songs on a loop. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, Take Me Home uh, by Phil Collins. Uh, what else is on there? Uh, I, I don't think they're, song, I think. They're not crass enough to do Don't Stop Believing, but some other Journey song is on there. Yeah, and it's not open arms either, so that leaves like one. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> Um, no, it's not faithful either. I'm not sure which one it is. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to know what love is comes up. Yeah, that does come up. So it's, yeah, it's all like the worst excesses of every song you dance to in your high school gym in junior high school. <laughs> yeah. Just burbling over the, <laughs> over the soundtrack. But then you go downstairs to get more tokens and it's like crass consumerism. It's, 
imagine if there were a run on banks <laughs> and all the banks could give you were tickets and you would exchange those tickets for things that in no way you need. Like a but shot glass. But it's the only money anywhere in the world. That's what's happening on the second floor. Just sugared up children running and, around. And with, middle-aged women. Yeah, with armloads of tickets. That you know, They've got some of the normal ticket games, like skee-ball. But that's yeah. a sucker's game. I if, love skee-ball. Yeah, but if you get a full boat, like I, I am skee-ball Jesus... <laughs> I hit everything in the dead center. I'm the Hawkeye of skee-ball. Yeah, don't fuck with the Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you get like 150 tickets. But 150 tickets is, is enough to get like the floss stick. <laughs> That's all you could get for 150 tickets. <laughs> but you could do one of these things that looks remarkably like, yeah, the big wheel on uh, The Price is Right. Yeah. They, it looks like gambling. <laughs> those, and it is and it kind of is you know, those will give you oh we'll give you 4,000 tickets and you need a billion tickets to get like a Diet Coke <laughs> an eraser cap it's yeah <laughs> no and they, they put stuff up like uh, wasn't at this place uh, another place I went to that had that kind of ticketing uh, the Charlie Horse okay in East Bridgewater which just closed ah. but yeah they had uh, ski ball and like fake blackjack for tickets but they had a jet ski and they, and they <laughs> something to work for. <laughs> yeah, but they put the number of tickets on it. I, but I did the math, and yeah, you'd have to, you'd have to play like thirty thousand dollars worth of perfect skee ball games to get this eight thousand dollar jet ski. I say, so would it be in fact cheaper to just buy the jet it ski? It would be cheaper to get the jet ski. <laughs> and it's the same thing for everything at Fun Spot. And the problem is, you tell people, Fun Spot if you grew up in the northeastern United States, it's a place where in New England people would go there. Yeah. So I've got friends with fond childhood memories of it, and I tell them I'm going, and they're like, "Can you get me a a pint glass?" They had Fun Spot <laughs> pint glasses. I had them as a kid. I'm like, I would, but they don't let you buy them. You need four billion fucking tickets. It's true. <laughs> and uh, I'm not, I can't put in that kind of time. They don't have a retirement plan <laughs> at Fun Spot for me to play ski ball. Uh, <laughs> they don't support overtime. So <laughs> they make you wear pants. Yeah. So, why did, you know, you, you've got a job. Uh, why don't you go up and play ski ball? Why do I have to relive your childhood for you just because you decided to have kids and I have disposable income? <laughs> That's true. Although I think I think they did say you could also buy it from the website. So if you really care, you not I'm not saying you. I'm yeah. not say, and nor am I implying that perhaps you don't care about your friend. I'm just saying that your friend, if he cares, could go to the website. Yeah, his childhood is not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever series of missteps led him to that particular place, <laughs> I got my own sob story. Nobody's helping me out. <sighs> but now we're back. We're rested. We're recovered. We can talk about, we can go even further back from the 80s to the 70s and talk about Luke Cage. <laughs> Those are terrible segments. <laughs> That's why we don't do them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and yet it was just there. I say, do it. Do it. <laughs> Pick up the gun. <laughs> just do the awful seg that you've always wanted to do. <laughs> All right. So we'll just move into Luke Cage. Yeah. Normally we do our Netflix stuff like the end of the weekend where it shows up, but that hasn't worked out for the last couple. It worked out for Daredevil and Jessica Jones. It did. Uh, it didn't work out for Daredevil season two. Because, uh, well, all right, let, let's start with this. <laughs> Backtrack. Yeah, within <laughs> 10 minutes of starting the first episode of Luke Cage a couple of weeks ago, uh, Parker, the Crisis on Infinite Midlife uh, mascot, uh, puked. Yes. This makes the running tally... <laughs> 
of having a member of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives family throw up during the course of a Marvel Netflix series four for four. <laughs> We're four for it was Parker three times. Um, and for Daredevil season two, I puked within ten minutes of the end of a. Uh, of the final episode. That's why we didn't do a Daredevil episode that week. Because of the bad General Because of bad Gauss. General Gauss chicken. Which means now, that I'm due next. I'm frightened. I'm terribly frightened. Well, what's interesting <laughs> to me is not one of us have thrown up during Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which means all of us have questionable taste, I think, <laughs> when you compare general day-to-day well, no, and episode I mean, to episode quality. I've, I've watched exactly one episode of it since it's come back this season. I think it's mostly because it's it's so vanilla. <laughs> It, it, so inoffensive, <laughs> it just slides right off your eyeballs. Yeah, it it kind of is. It it's fun for a giggle, but it's certainly not appointment viewing the way the Netflix series have, yeah. have become. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's during the good shows we throw up. <laughs> four for four, and actually, four for four. the good news uh, I looked it up. Iron Fist debuts on St. Patrick's Day. Fantastic. Which means it we, will be my turn. We might be seven for five <laughs> by then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nah, nah, we're professional drinkers. <laughs> That's true. But and if I do throw up, my puke won't be green. <laughs> well, it might be, but if it is, we, we have to call an ambulance. Because I will like have the... eaten a leprechaun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, Luke Cage, this is the first character in the Marvel Netflix series that really neither one of us uh, have much history with a character that yeah. didn't start before like new avengers or something new avengers or or even uh, cage showing up in alias yeah okay yeah um which would have been 2001 actually that's about right for me i think yeah i i read i think exactly it's not even I think. I, I had one issue of Power Man when I was a kid, uh, and I looked it up. It was issue 38, Ooh. which is one of the first ones that was edited by Marv Wolfman. It was oh. written by Bill Mantlo. And I do remember it, because the, the gimmick opening up, it was the second part of a two-parter. So I had no idea what was going on. You're thrown right into the issue. And yeah, Chemistro has turned the sidewalk to quicksand, and Luke Cage is drowning. Oh. I'm like, wow, I've just met you, and you're going to die. Go on. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, something I always remembered. Part of why I always remembered it was there was a coloring error, and I remember being confused, because in the first few panels, he had a yellow shirt, yep. and then as he's drowning in the quicksand, suddenly it's blue. Mm. And so I had to puzzle it over, and what I finally uh, decided was, and, and this is actually part of the plot, Chemistro turned Luke's yellow satin shirt into lead so that he'd drown faster okay yeah but i think they fucked up i think what they actually did was fuck up an earlier coloring cue so it stayed yellow ah so i decided no that's where the mistake was it should have been gray because lead is gray Mm. so but it's i remember puzzling over that so i remember having the but it's also i you know being at that point uh, jesus a five six year old (laughs) white kid from Connecticut. Yeah. And I'm like, I really don't identify with anything in this. And it, so, yeah, I, I never bought it again. Same way I never bought Iron Fist again. It was, yeah. uh, I bought like one or two issues as a kid and it's like, I I don't have any connection with Kung Fu movies, so well, this is not just for it. me. I mean, the whole Iron Fist and um, Luke Cage, Power Man thing, it really feels like those came out of Marvel's desire to somehow capitalize on black exploitation and and kung fu movies. 
Oh, I guarantee you, somebody at lunchtime was getting high and walking through Times Square and looking at what was playing at the Grindhouse Theaters and saying, why don't we do a book like this? Why don't we do a book like this? Yeah, I'm sure that's it. So then the challenge becomes, as they're bringing these properties into 21st century America, how do you respectfully do these properties so that they're not exploitation films? <laughs> yeah, when they were very much exploitation films to start yeah. with. You don't you don't get you don't get Luke Cage written by Bill Mantlo. No, no. <laughs> and expect an authentic experience of I would think not. I can't speak to all of Bill Mantlo's experiences in life. Though. Yeah, me neither, I guess. But I'm gonna probably guess no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go down this weird road, at least not yet. Okay. But uh yeah, the point is we both came into this, you know, without much in the way of the history of the original hero for hire or Power Man or even Power Man and Iron Fist comics. Right. You know, the only Power Man slash Luke Cage villain that I knew was Chemistro. I, I didn't know who Diamondback or Mariah or Cottonmouth. I had, I had no heard idea. of Black Mariah. Yeah, but I had no idea who any of these. So, so yeah, it was... One of the first Marvel properties, be it movies or whatever, I came in and they went going, all right, I probably don't know as much as a lot of people. Mm. So, all right, hit me. What do you got? <laughs> so then the question is, without without necessarily being the, the intended audience or having the, the proper background for appreciation of its history, is the series still effective? I think it is. It really was the first... It was the first Marvel property where I really don't feel like I'm totally the target audience. Yeah. When it comes to that, there was, I can tell there was an old school movie black exploitation feel to a lot of this, only because I went to college with a dude named Jeff who loved all of those movies and would go rent them. And like literally, like the last night before I graduated, he and all my buddies came up and we had, and yeah, we watched Shaft and Superfly and Blackula. Oh god! Um, and just got hammered on Bud Light what, Tall Boys. What was he a Dolomite junkie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was not, but uh, he is the reason that I saw that movie. Okay. <laughs> so, so I've seen a lot of these. I don't have necessarily the kind of appreciation that he does, but it's I've seen them. It's like, all right, there's fun to it. So I recognize elements from these things I've seen. But And, and a lot of those yeah, pulpy elements are there. You've got the lone vigilante. You know, it's always, almost always a vigilante yeah. shaft. Well, it's it's weird. It's somebody outside the law. You've got Shaft, who's a cop, but even that, no, he's a private eye. Superfly's a drug dealer. Dolomite, he's a drug dealer. Is Blackula a vigilante in this scenario? I'm confused. So so was I. I was pretty <laughs> drunk. But uh, anyway, keeping the streets of the community clean, his, his motivation might start selfishly, but the end conflict is to, yeah, preserve things from the outside, outside forces that would destroy the block or the street or the town okay. or the borough or the scope often changes but it's yeah yeah uh as usual luke cage yeah seems to have the extra power of being able to hold his breath because he's drowning in pussy right from the <laughs> first episode he can get whatever he wants that's pretty common there are about three white characters in this show and they all suck yeah and one's a dirty cop One's a brutal prison guard, and the third is literally an escaped Nazi scientist <laughs> in everything but time period. Yeah, really, he was. So, he was. I mean, what, what was the character's name? Uh, did I write it down here? Oh, shit, I didn't put that one down. It was It was something like, I don't know, 
like Heller von Brock yeah, it was something <laughs> anyway. Douche and um, and yeah, <laughs> the antagonist is always somebody with money, politically connected. It's usually a white guy in a lot of these other stories, but what the hell, it still fits the formula. So so yeah, it's it's got that kind of seventies black exploitation pulp fiction element. So if you like those kind of stories, there's a lot here from you know, just those plot elements to music stings mm-hmm. and you know, the soundtrack was was great. I thought in general and I'm, has been released on vinyl for those of you that are audio purists out there. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just said that to see the look on your face. It doesn't help anybody listening to the show, but believe me, it was glorious, folks. So. Fuck that. They want to be purists <laughs> to the seventies. They'll release it. They'll release it on Viewmaster, motherfucker. On Viewmaster. I don't have any time for these <laughs> wusses with their thirty-three and a third. <laughs> Viewmaster. I think a track. <laughs> I think my so left. Did you master just, that thing that you look through with the, the clicky, and it would advance slides? I think my left eye just filled up with blood. <laughs> well, that's not good. <laughs> you need that to do stuff. Fuck that viewmaster. That's what I say. It is. That's what it is. Okay. All right. But uh. <laughs> so you're yeah, very broken. I'm. I yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. <laughs> Uh, it was the first uh, first ever time I've been played a Wu Tang Clan song where I'm like, all right, that's not bad. Contextually, here it works out. <laughs> There's, you know, again, I'm a middle aged white guy. The, the context where yes, Wu Tang would be appropriate here it doesn't <laughs> pop up very often. No, no, not for <laughs> us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. no, I mean, and and even less for me. I mean, lately I've been listening to a lot of bluegrass, so. <laughs> Oh, God, we're stereotypes. <laughs> In the 80s, we'd have been yuppies. I don't know what we are now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, dinks, I think the term is uh, double income, no kids. <laughs> yes, that form of dink. That's precisely the type I of am dink. that dink. <laughs> I am that dink. Who wants to know? Where's my whiskey funnel? Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways... Yeah, you'd be watching it, and there would be references that clearly are meant for black people, the black community. That's a just, I'm like, I don't understand that, and I recognize I'm not necessarily supposed to, mm-hmm. and but I'm okay with that. Yeah, it, it had to walk a very interesting line of this is an opportunity to do a Marvel property for the black African American community, and yet still we don't want to alienate. Let's face it, old school Marvel middle aged white guys, right? You know, who have made Kevin Feige very, 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 very rich. rich. So, and I think it did a good job navigating it. I've I never felt alienated from any references. There were times where it's like, all right, I don't get that. I can't think of any specific examples right now. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> did did you have any? You're staring at me and said, "Look, we have to talk about I it know. a little bit." I, I know. I mean, no, I I enjoyed thing, it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. We we watched it over the span of, of a few days, which was a departure for us, because usually we just sort of binge them over two days. Yeah, and that was the original plan, and I fucked the timing up completely. <laughs> it wasn't fucked the timing up completely. It's uh, Again, it's uh, not to bitch about my personal life too much. Yeah, when your phone rings at one forty-five in the morning on a Saturday saying, oh, I need help until 5 o'clock in the morning, it's going to be hard to... Muster up the energy to even passively watch television all day Sunday because you're constantly falling asleep. I know. I, so, I, I watched you do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I. I mean, I. 
I enjoyed it. I think with the, this wasn't my favorite one. I found that there were some moments where they seemed to be recycling some some things that had been used in other Marvel properties. For example, the the weapon that um, Diamondback, who appears near the end of the series, shows up with to take out Luke Cage involved shrapnel and they couldn't get the shrapnel out of him. And I'm like, gosh, didn't I see that in Iron Man? <laughs> yeah, and you did bring that up, and I, I think you have a point, but it's... And also, I appreciate them using Claire Temple in all of these as the night nurse, and this is the first time I think we actually heard her referred to as a night nurse. Yes. Um, it, it, it feels a little strained how they're doing it, although I, I enjoy the actress, so that's fine, but... <laughs> to be fair, I found that entire... Issue thirty eight mm-hmm. um, online. I think it was on uh, Marvel. Allowed it as a preview option for oh. their Marvel Unlimited. Okay. And Claire Temple, the Night Nurse, was part of Luke Cage. Luke Cage's history, well, and she was the the yeah. love interest. Well, she's she's supposed to be part of that whole Marvel Knights world. Yeah, but this goes back to nineteen seventy four, seventy five, okay. seventy six. So it's, whereas I was watching it saying, oh, okay, they finally found some way to make her fit in just beyond showing up for an episode. having hot coffee with Luke Cage? Um, As? (laughs) The comics code uh, (laughs) makes it somewhat ambiguous. The other problem I have with with how they've been using Claire is she just seems to be a magnet for for superhero dick. It's just... (laughs) Well... (laughs) It's like I'd like her to have like a storyline where she isn't ending up in bed with like the next vigilante. She never wound up in bed with Matt Murdock. I thought she did in the first. No, I don't think so. I thought so. I'd have to go back and revisit it. <laughs> then you risk puking in my copious free time <laughs> for throwing. Yeah, so but no, I don't. I don't think so. I thought she did, or at least they got close. <laughs> uh, I I could be misremembering, but I don't think so. Okay. But it's a that's that's exactly what I was thinking in this. It's like, oh, they're finally making her a love interest because he's black, and it's a, no, that's part of Marvel history. That was that was there. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, anything else in general? You want to start diving into more the specific stuff? No, I mean, we can get into the. Did, did you have did you have any issues with? Uh, I mean, the the clearly black references. I mean, it's one of those, it started out in a barber shop, and on one hand, it's like, is this a real thing? But it's, I, again, I'm a white guy from South, who grew up south of Boston. I don't know shit about the black community. I, I don't either. So Beyond, it's, they had a whole series of movies called Barber Shops, so yeah, I think it's a thing. So, I mean, it's, I it's a big part presume. of the, the Ice Cube oeuvre. But, <laughs> There's an Ice Cube oeuvre? Uh, yes. <laughs> it amounts to a few Friday films, a vacation remake. And, mm. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Ice Cube oeuvre. It just rolls off the tongue. It, it does. <laughs> it almost sounds like a diagnosis. Sorry, son. You got the Ice Cube oeuvre. How long have I got? Till the end of this episode. Yeah. <clears throat> Unless you get some hot coffee. <laughs> God damn it with a hot coffee. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think the... I liked the the action of it. I, I enjoyed the characterizations. And I think the things that I didn't relate to slid off my brain. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it walked a weird line between being black exploitation and a black show and pulp vigilante fiction and a superhero story set in the giant Marvel cinematic universe. Yes. And somehow it generally managed to juggle all that and work. Now, that said, beyond the usual few steps of Marvel cinematic universe world building, 
know, people talking about the incident with the Avengers and Avengers yep. One and mentions of Claire's lawyer friend and you know, a couple of mentions of Wilson Fisk. The Harlem in this show might as well have taken place on another world than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They yeah. did a few plug-ins to say, yep, okay, see, it's all in the same world, but none of the, <laughs> nothing, nothing from outside generally affected it. You don't hear about the Sokovia Accords. Nobody right. gives a shit. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, it's also intended to be a street-level thing, so nobody's going to bring up the Accords. Right, but it's... You've got another vigilante working, you know, on 42nd Street, 60 blocks away, that almost never gets mentioned. Might yeah. as well be in Bolivia. However, I, I think, though, that's sort of the point. It, there's, if you live in New York, and I, again, this is not my experience because I don't live in New York and the Yankees suck. And I um, <laughs> just had to get that in there. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, Boston, <laughs> you're my home. All right, go ahead. But my, my understanding is that it's, there's a sort of like micro regions within New York City because it's so vast. And they made a point of saying, you know, Claire, you're from uptown. What are you doing here in Harlem? So outside of your particular neighborhood, it may not may as well not as yeah, may as well not exist. Uh, I guess <laughs> I've never lived in New York. I visited a few times. Yeah. I'm just too goddamn parochially Bostonian to really embrace New York City. That's one of I the many reasons it. I love you, baby. <laughs> but all right, I suppose that makes sense. I, I for me, it was more of a storytelling choice. But maybe that's just what it's like to live there. Whatever's I, I happening five blocks away might as well not exist. Yeah. All right, that's fair enough. If, if you're from uh, New York City, please feel free to email us at crisisoninfinitelives <laughs> at gmail.com to educate us. <laughs> I could have sworn you were going to say, suck a dick. Feel free to suck a dick. I think you're projecting, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm too sober to do this show. All right. Uh, what else do I want to talk about here? Um, one thing that I thought was interesting and a little bit different in certain ways than the other Marvel Netflix shows was the pacing. Mm. Uh, it was the show was not in any real hurry to dole out information. It no felt like it trusted the viewer to, to don't worry, stick with us. At this point, we've done enough of these. We know that you're probably going to watch six or seven of these in a row. You'll know before you go to bed, <laughs> you know who this mysterious auditor stranger is who throws herself <laughs> at Luke Cage in the first episode. You'll find out what a cottonmouth is. At, at worst, you'll know by the time you get home from work tomorrow. And it was. Kind yeah. of refreshing. I never felt like I was confused. It was, you know, all right, they'll tell me eventually. Yeah, one thing this uh, series was not uh, big on and, and it worked was, here's your, here's your exposition. Just take it. Take my exposition. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, we sort of learn that, okay, Luke's living under the radar because he's really a fugitive. That's why he wants to be paid in cash for all his jobs. And it trusted us enough, <laughs> I guess, to not have the exposition explaining why this fugitive used to have a bar with a liquor license, presumably <laughs> under his own name and Jessica Jones, but okay, now he's afraid to have anything. It under wasn't his under own his name. own name, though. It was. It was. He was Luke Cage in that movie. Uh, movie in that series too. Well, it, yeah, certainly. But you know, here he's Luke Cage and afraid to fill out a W two. Yeah, but in, in prison, when we finally get to the origin story, we find out his name is Carl Lucas. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't. that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. It's This took place after Jessica Jones. Right. Okay, I'm a fugitive now in 2016. I also was in 2015. Right now, I'm so afraid of being a fugitive that I won't fill out any tax paperwork. Got it. In 2015, I owned a bar. 
<laughs> which required government inspections and licensing, and I, that's never explained. Yeah, that's a good point. So, <laughs> thank just, you for clarifying. There's that. <laughs> If there was a hole in this entire series, it was that. To the point where it really was, we were more than halfway through the run where I really could place that, yes, this is taking place after Jessica Jones. I really felt for a lot of it like, okay, this is some period in between Avengers 1 and 2012 Mm. and before Jessica Jones because, yeah, we're not really hearing anything about her. Until Claire showed up and asked where his girlfriend was. Right. <laughs> that was really, the th- it's like, okay, Jesus, the, the, this is taking place now. Because, yeah, with no real mention of her. And, yeah, you had to remind me at the end of Jessica Jones, they had sort of split up. Yeah. But it was, yeah, the, to to go from, oh, I owned a bar and lost everything, and now suddenly I'm more fugitive-like, it, that was a hole. Yeah. And I think that was one casualty of saying, We'll give you all the information over the course of 13 hours. I was unstuck in time for probably seven or eight of the 13 episodes. Yeah. I I think it didn't impact me as much because, again, I remembered that they had split up. So either way, it didn't really matter. Either he had already gotten together with her and they had broken up or they hadn't gotten together yet. Either way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just... It, it felt weird for me. It's like with with the dude hawking DVDs in the first yeah. episode of the incident. Well, shit. You know how many incidents with the Avengers there? You don't have a new DVD of the Avengers kicking the shit out of each other on that <laughs> Air Force base? Yeah. You, you update your material, buddy. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, I will say one of the things they did nicely, because um, it wasn't particularly jarring to me, was their use of new technology as a way to spread things virally, um, in this case about Luke Cage, uh, to sort of try to spin the story. <laughs> Well, how do you mean? What's an example? Um, an example is the the dash cam footage from when Luke got into the altercation with some officers when he was very much on the run by about the the latter portion of the the series, right? And that got out onto the internet and was being run by every major news organization, and and Mariah was trying to use that to spin her version of events to to make the 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 public more sympathetic to her struggles because she as a leading politician in in Harlem her problem was she was being dogged by issues of her connection with her criminal cousin and and other members of her family who have been involved in nefarious doings so it's that to take uh spotlight off of her and put it on to no this is the real threat yeah this i think was in production probably uh, about a year ago or so it's there's you don't have to scratch very much of a lot of what happens in Luke Cage to see Ferguson and Black Lives Matter and yeah it's particularly since Ferguson it's like every week it's like here's another cell phone video and here's the here's this side saying it's horrible here's this other side saying you need to respect the police and things well, coming to blows and so it's very much ripped from the headlines yeah so then on the other side of that you know then they get Luke Cage on whatever podcast or radio program he was on to tell his side of things or no he wasn't he wasn't on that it was somebody who had interacted with him at a, at a convenience store who was trying right. to make the case um i, I he couldn't possibly be a bad guy because even when he was on the run, he stopped these criminals from robbing this convenience store. And I have his shirt. Here's proof or his, his hoodie. Here's proof. Right. 
that dragged me so completely out of the show, if only because I, I, I choose to believe that was a podcast, even though I'm looking at our uh, luxurious podcast studio. <laughs> In Here in the, the basement of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office. That's right. Uh, <laughs> on the outskirts of Boston. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had to sign a- agreements understanding our on-air decency policy literally every three months mm. I worked in radio. And just to have people casually fling around shit and fuck. It, yeah. It's, uh, Probably a podcast. Yeah. I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd put that scene out of my mind just because... I think I half stood up. I'm like, no, you guys are signing your life away every three months. You'd be on the dump button so fast. That's why I like podcasts. Fucking A, man. I'm for that. But I should just call this whole podcast the dump button. <laughs> oh, with the way I'm feeling right now, just call it the dump. Oh. That's, that's fine. Oh. So, uh, yeah, there was definitely... The rip from the headlines. Yeah. And it's a reality now of various communities dealing with the police. Mm-hmm. You know, the cameras are everywhere. And certainly you get unedited raw stuff on YouTube. You get stuff that's been cut to make police look good uh, from direct channels. You get certain things coming from... And that's the reality of a lot of police interactions. And probably in the future as more body cams come in, that that's going to be a thing. And things going viral and people trying to spin the narrative to push their own agenda. Right. Because there is always an agenda. Sometimes it's a good agenda. Sometimes it's bad. That's that's a reality that we see all over the news now. So it made it feel topical. Yeah. I mean, cell phones were central in this. It was a cell phone was used to, to lure a witness out of hiding, which led to her death. A cell phone was used to for for texting purposes, uh, the bad guys could talk to each other and, and um, keep secrets from one another. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was all over the place. It felt very topical, even while trying to half convince me that it took place somewhere between 2012 and 2014. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and the, the rest of the pacing, yeah, we, we don't even see Diamondback until, like, the back half. We don't get an origin story for Luke Cage until the fourth episode. Yeah, and then I had to question, you know, did, did we really need an origin story? I think the only reason they had as much of the origin story as they did was they wanted to explain more of his relationship with his, his ex-wife or dead wife, former wife. <laughs> and, and they wanted to set up how he would need to be saved after the shrapnel weapon is introduced. Well, see, the argument that I have is if if the origin story is mutant or inhuman, obviously you don't need it. It's boring. Uh, it, it doesn't serve any purpose. You were born with it or yeah. you were gassed into it. You don't need to spend a lot of time with it. Right. If it's an artificial enhancement, then, yeah, I think you owe it to the audience to explain how it happened. Yeah. You could very easily with Luke Cage just say, you know what, uh, fuck all that. It doesn't matter. Uh, mutant. Yeah. You could do it with any, with Spider-Man. You could do it with any superhero. You could. Uh, a large part of the vibe behind this particular hero is in prison for a crime he didn't commit, experimented on, not necessarily understanding or being told uh, everything that was happening. Right. And there's a, a long history of false imprisonment, the Project MK Ultra. It's shooting people up with syphilis. Uh, there's, yeah, yeah. There are historical reasons to tie Luke Cage's origin into that kind of 
history. And this was, you know, its own particular Marvel spin. The, the mad scientist involved was trying to recreate the Captain America super soldier serum. <laughs> I swear to God, Captain America is the worst fucking thing that ever happened to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> the crimes against science and humanity that were committed just to try to make another fucking Steve Rogers. Yeah. And they fail and create monsters and fail and create monsters. And it's at this point... Or fail and can't be replicated. Yeah. And at the... Spoilers, at the end of this, ooh, the scientist has another guy he can experiment on to try to create another goddamn super soldier. It's awful. Yes. Steve Rogers is the problem with the Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe. Steve Rogers needs to be assassinated as quickly as humanly possible to save the world. They tried that. Sharon shot him. It didn't take. (laughs) That's the problem. Give it to a professional. (laughs) As opposed to, I don't know, somebody who works for fucking S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, okay. She was brainwashed. She wasn't operating at full capacity. She was under Dr. Faustus's and Red Skull's control. And yeah, all she was was sort of a patsy to allow Crossbones to pull the trigger. No, you need to... (laughs) <laughs> Steve Rogers is like a fucking vampire. You, you need to have the body. You need to burn him and stake him. It's the, to save America, we have to kill Captain America. <laughs> are, are you done? Are you, are you sure you got that out of your system? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm lost. Uh, I'm angry. And I'm armed. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, tell me I'm wrong. The Hulk... Captain America's fucking fault. Well, all the Hulk villains, therefore, from experimenting with gamma radiation, Captain America's fault. Luke Cage, Captain America's <laughs> fault. Diamondback, Captain America's fault. Seriously, <laughs> Hydra. Well, Hydra was already in place. That's <laughs> right, but they coalesced after the death of the Red Skull. Captain America's fault. Okay. Steve Rogers. I think he really is Hydra. I, Jesus, <laughs> I, I I think we owe uh, shit. Who's writing Captain America now? He's all writing the, also writing the fix. Why can't I think Dan, uh, Spencer? Spencer. Nick. I think we owe Nick Spencer an apology. He figured it out. <laughs> Captain America is the worst thing to happen to the world ever. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but he punched out Hitler, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> and when did he punch Hitler? Before we were in war, it was an act of war. The first thing Captain America ever did was an act of war. <laughs> Captain America's a fucking monster. Okay. All right. This may be our last episode. <laughs> so you got to warn me when you're going to do that. I have to get my popcorn. I got to get comfortable. <laughs> if I could harness it, we wouldn't need to pay for energy. I'd just go on a treadmill and scream about Captain America. Okay. So yeah, I think we need an origin story, uh, the history of the Marvel <laughs> Universe and uh, various historical elements uh, regarding uh, <laughs> the imprisonment of uh, African-American people, I think, demand it. Okay. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I am... Uh... <laughs> you, you really should not do these shows sober. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're taping this one early. <laughs> Because I want tacos. Yeah. (laughs) I have needs and they involve tacos. That came out wrong. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) And yet we're not talking about the same thing. We're really not. Did I mention I had an inadequate sausage sandwich earlier today? Hey. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) They got my dick missing. (laughs) Dink. Ah, so we've lost the thread. We've, (laughs) We've lost the thread. 
Uh, all right, can we can we get to the the heart of the matter? Um, you and I talked about this briefly before the show. Cottonmouth, uh, greater than sign, uh, Diamondback. Uh yes, yes we can. Because I I enjoyed that that character. I enjoyed uh, Cottonmouth. I enjoyed uh, watching his backstory play out um, as he grew up with Mariah, you know the the genius musician who wasn't allowed to pursue his. Uh, his avocation because um, their mother or grandmother aunt wanted them to wanted him specifically to grow up in the family business, which was crime. Right. And the whole idea of, of legacy and how that impacts you and family and, and and what are you entitled to because you're born to something. And I just thought it was tragic for that kid uh, that this is how things turned out for him. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And family destroyed him from the word go, and it finally killed him. Yeah, and it, as it did Mariah, honestly. <laughs> True, because you know she she was portrayed as a, an intelligent young woman who is twisted by her her family into this politician, and she thinks she's doing the, doing it right because she's doing it legit through politics and not through crime. But power corrupts. Period. It doesn't matter what field you're in. Well, it, a large part of her tragedy was the the misunderstanding, I think, of, oh, I'm going legitimate. She was no more legitimate than Cottonmouth was. Right. Everything, she may have had grand goals for the community, but it was being funded with drug and gun money. Right. And merely saying, I don't want to know, that's not the same as I've gone legit. And you can certainly make the argument, well, any corporation in America... The Kennedys. The, yeah. The, the, <laughs> Same the, thing. Fuck <laughs> the Kennedys. Uh, Wells Fargo. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, the CEO. Well, I didn't know what was being done on my behalf. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. the Kennedys are supposedly, it started off as like a whole bootlegger thing and then uh, trying to get legit and go into politics and do it that way. Oh, yeah. And it killed them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that for me, that's the tragedy of Mariah is just, it's a, there was nothing legitimate about Mariah. Yeah. If there was an, a real arch villain in this series, it was Mariah. Yeah. If there's if there's any character on this, I would like to see set on fire <laughs> right next to Captain America for his crimes. <laughs> it's Mariah. <laughs> and and the funny part is, I think they introduced her in Iron Man two or three. She she it was it was a different character. Was it a different character? Uh, but the same actress. Same actress. Okay. Uh, Alfre Woodard. Yeah. Wood, yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, different character. Oh, I, interesting. I, okay. Yeah, I don't think there's supposed to be any relation either. Okay. I, I forget who the character is, but well, now I feel bad because I was going to get into this whole thing about how you know, she she was making a point about a, a son who was lost, and then it turns out in this series, no, <laughs> she's lying. Yeah, <laughs> trying to make him feel bad. Which uh, the parallel would have been there, but I, I don't think they're supposed to be. Okay. Because I, I did look it up because because you had brought it up and yeah. I I checked it it's like uh, with somebody else and then I forgot to put it in my notes. Okay, so All right. well I, saw, I, I feel better that that's cleared up at least. Yes, but even just in turn when it comes to Cottonmouth versus Diamondback, taking Mariah out of it, uh, it's the show spent so much real estate building up Cottonmouth as multi-dimensional, you know, yeah. showing his childhood and lack of interest in joining the criminal enterprise and wanting to do music uh, and somehow trying to find a way to meld the music and the crime yeah. uh, by running Harlem's Paradise. I know fuck all about hip-hop, but having a giant Biggie Smalls 
a guy who started as a gangster and went on to become a musician seemed pretty on the nose to me. Yes. But we spent a lot of time watching him try to do those things and fail and wind up in crime anyway and then accept being a criminal while well, still trying trying to escape his street name. If you call him Cottonmouth, he'll throw you off a fucking building. There's a level of existentialism there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'll do these things and I, I accept that I'm a criminal, but at least if I do these things, if I follow these rules, he's always talking about the rules. Yeah. If I follow the rules, I'm a better class of criminal at least than some scumbag who'll stick you in the neck with an ice pick for for the 20 cents in your pocket to buy heroin or right. whatever. Right. Um, at least I'm not Hydra. <laughs> at least I'm not Captain America. Just leaving wreckage in my wake. Yeah, well, there's a there's a whole thing around <clears throat> neighborhood and family and wh- how these older individuals become mentors, rightly or wrongly, because kids need direction and need somewhere to go. So there's the the kids that <clears throat> Cottonmouth's um, aunt brought in and worked with them and became criminals, but it was okay because it was in a familial sense. Pops tries to create a neutral Switzerland-like place where kids can come and do positive things out of his barber shop. There's um, the the rules of, of the basketball court and how everybody knows that because it's a cultural thing within the neighborhood, how... And and there's supposed to be this sort of deference to to the understanding of rules. Yeah. And there are rules like that in every society. Why, in the white neighborhood where I grew up, if you mix mustard with mayo, I'd back over you with my car. Mustard and mayo is awesome. <laughs> I, I just pulled that out of my ass. I don't, look, I had to get a mayonnaise joke. <laughs> but yes, I was the, expecting ketchup on a hot dog, but all right. <laughs> that's okay until you're about 12. Then you really got to stop. <laughs> Come on. Well, see, I discovered actually you can do, there's a workaround for that. You put mustard on your hot dog, but then you follow it with a ketchup color, covered fried chaser. What? You, you eat, take a bite of, of the hot dog with the mustard on it, and, and then you have a French fry with ketchup on it, and then you haven't broken any rules, but you still get to have your ketchup. So it's a filthy, dirty grift is what you're saying. <laughs> Just saying rules can be gotten around. I'm throw you in the dock with Mariah and Steve Rogers. <laughs> You'll pay for what you've done. You'll answer for your criminal behavior. <laughs> Leave my ketchup alone. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck were we talking about? Rules. Rules, Yes. So by following the rules, he, he Cottonmouth makes himself feel like a, at least he's a higher class of criminal. Uh, it's I, I'm not as bad as I could be, so I can continue to look myself in the mirror. Yes. And in the end, the tragedy is no matter what he has done to try to find a better place for himself in the world than the one he feels he was doomed for, doesn't work. His past kills him. His sister fucking kills him dead. His sister or cousin? I think they're cousins. Whatever. Whoever. They, I think they're supposed to be cousins. Yeah, or one was brought Whatever. The, the family killed him. Yes. And you go from that, and you've spent episodes with this character, to Diamondback, who comes in from out of nowhere. Diamondback is such a whiny fucking bitch. Yeah, he's an illegitimate kid who never got over being jealous of his half-brother, so he tries to kill him. Basically. That's it. That's it. And that's not nearly as fucking compelling. No, because it's still along the lines of of legacy and family and what you think you're entitled to. But yeah, the second you bring in the the whiny, bitchy, disaffected sibling, I'm rooting for Luke Cage to win. (laughs) I I can't see why, having read the (laughs) 
the internet writings of uh, somebody's sibling. Um, yeah, when you're uh, when you're the Amanda and I are both uh, older siblings. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the travails of a younger sibling who done feel they've been wronged. Everybody is the hero of their own story. You're really gonna have to push <laughs> us to give a fuck. Oh, so I, I, I think the 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 fuck count for this would be zero. I zero fucks given. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, for Diamondback, yeah. I am bereft of fucks. <laughs> <laughs> but the the storytelling analogy I thought of was from the wire mm. and character wise, like Stringer Bell versus Marlo Stanfield. Stringer was this complex character. He was multifaceted. He was trying to work himself out of drugs and into legitimate business. Um, and in the end, he just couldn't get out of it and suffered a tragic downfall because of it. Whereas Marlo who followed him was just a fucking flat affect stone killer. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a reason once Stringer gets killed in like the third season, people talk about how cool Snoop is and how cool Omar is, but not Marlo so much because he's fucking boring. Right. You know, he's, he, he's a symbol of how there's always someone more ruthless in crime, but ultimately it doesn't make for a compelling antagonist. It's a symbol. Yeah. And I, I kind of got that with Cottonmouth and Diamondback. It's a, oh, you're a wronged sibling who worked his way up and wants to punch him to death. Okay, let's spend the next five episodes trying to give a shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. You had a bad life. Would you like a cookie? Yeah. <laughs> Just a relentless outsider after we spent seven or eight episodes with this guy who's trying like hell to elevate himself while feeling doomed by his position in life. <laughs> It's a, oh, no, here's the guy who punches. Okay, it's good to see you. Well, you know, I sent you to prison, and you came out a superhero. Wham! <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Lemonade, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Life gave him lemons. He made lemonade. <laughs> Luke Cage. He of the yellow T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> yes, Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for a sound effect to address this. There's never been a sound effect to address this. All right, I'll go back. Lemonade, this, bitch. This is <laughs> not even supposed to be here today. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in the end, Diamondback felt like he was there to be like a physical threat for Luke. The same reason those bullets were there. Yeah. If you have a superhero, there's a reason somebody somewhere in the annals of the Superman radio show invented kryptonite. Mm -hmm. A a hero that has no weakness is boring. They always win. And in its own way, in early episodes of Luke Cage, that was interesting because you get people who clearly at this street level have never had to deal with an Avenger. Captain America is not busting up the Crispus Attic Center. No. Whether he should or not, if only to assuage his own guilt for being such a horrible influence on Marvel, <laughs> he's not doing it. So, I didn't realize that you had such deep, harsh feelings for Steve Rogers until today. Neither did I. <laughs> it's just once you start thinking about it, the crimes that have been committed... <laughs> In the name of, we need more of this guy. <laughs> the best thing he ever did was crash his plane and get out of the fucking Dodge. Anyway. It does ruin everything he touches. I mean, look at Bucky's arm. <laughs> exactly. Bucky's arm. Uh, what's her face? Uh, Haley Atwell. 
she died old and alone. Jesus. He did. Yeah, Steve Rogers will abandon you. Sharon Carter, get out now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus. He just spent the last movie punching the shit out of Iron Man. I mean, he's Captain America. He's not a good person. <laughs> but okay. I'm getting off point here. Either way, <laughs> Iron Man's not busting up the, the drug ring. No. Outside. So every, Thor's certainly not. No, Thor... <laughs> Thor doesn't care about anything. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised when the next movie doesn't have Natalie Portman that he actually comes back to Earth. But eh, you need shit to do. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, it, oh, never mind. But uh, so yeah, a couple episodes of gangsters who have intimidated a community using the same methods that intimidate people, just getting their ass kicked by. Who's someone who's going to be an Avenger if it follows the comic books? That's entertaining for a while. Yeah, the same way Action Comics number one. I mean, does the world need Superman to beat up a crooked landlord? No, that's more of a court order situation. <laughs> you don't need the Man from Tomorrow to deal with an inequitable rent raise. <laughs> Bulletproof rarely comes into that situation. I mean, sometimes you think you might want that level, but you really don't. Exactly. You should pay your rent. You know, it's it's a nice to have. Bulletproof's always a nice to have. I mean, freeze breath to deal with a writ of eviction. Eh, it's not doing much for you. So, so yeah, it's it's fun up to a point to watch Luke Cage, and literally he just walks through and just pushes people through walls. And, <laughs> Chucks them out windows, hits them with a couch. It's you know, that, that again, the, contextually for the Wu Tang Clan. It's <laughs> a, I may as well put on my headphones because I don't need situational awareness. I just need to get the energy up to go up and punch everybody in the dick, <laughs> and that's entertaining. But you can't sustain the character without no. some legitimate threat. So that's yeah. I mean, know, what we find is that his his body is its own danger to himself because in the Jessica Jones story. Um, when she had to shoot him in the head to get him out of the purple man's uh, sphere of influence, then he almost died because the pressure that was building up in his skull couldn't be um, vented conventionally. Yeah. And Claire had to go to hi- hi- heroic measures to figure out how to take care of that. Yep. Um, likewise, when they finally do find something that can penetrate his skin, it he, we can't get the shrapnel back out again, and so that's threatening him that way. <laughs> yeah, which is not a unique storytelling trope. You don't get it a lot, though. We got it in Superman Returns, yeah, where uh, he had the kryptonite shards in him, and yeah, just emergency room doctors frantically trying to figure out how to cut into him. I think I saw it in Astro City uh, maybe once okay. or twice, but uh, or maybe uh, Stormwatch. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, that, that would seem like a Warren Ellis kind of extrapolation. Yep, yep. Of if you can't cut your skin and yet something gets under there, how are you going to get it? Now I have an idea how to take out Plastic Man, finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, he's irritating. <laughs> <laughs> M- moving, anyway. Moving on. <laughs> hey, look. Plastic Man started out as a criminal, changed his ways, paid his debt to society. Unlike Captain America. <laughs> You know, the guy who plays Captain America grew up not far from here. We could run into him at the bar, potentially. I I know. Are you and going to have this conversation with him? Should we run into him? Certainly, I'm using hyperbole. <laughs> I I have enjoyed... Hey! It. Hey, Chris! Hey! Hey! 
No, I think I, <laughs> I think I'd be more that man. The losers was awesome. You're awesome in it. <laughs> Could but, you sing? Don't stop believing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let's talk about some of your other work that's not Captain America. And I promise not to bring up Fantastic Four. How's that? <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. That look. Clearly, I found a little rift to go on. Everybody likes Captain America. Of course. He's no fucking Jericho. Goddamn <laughs> fucking Jericho. Reading Deathstroke this week, talking about Jericho. I'm like, God damn it, Christopher Priest, don't you bring back fucking Jericho. I think he's back. God damn it. I thought he was still dead. I think he's I back. I thought that's one thing we got from Rebirth, that he was no longer amongst the living. I think he's back. I thought it was DC Rebirth except for Jericho. <laughs> Didn't Dio get my emails? <laughs> emails. You stood outside of his apartment with a boombox like it was say fucking anything. <laughs> I left before the police showed up. Love. <laughs> no, I we... so. Kill Jericho. <laughs> Once again, we've lost the thread. What were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about... Luke Cage and oh yeah, so <laughs> so there needs to be something that can hurt Luke Cage. Yes. You know, if it's you know a suit of armor, where someday somebody will figure out how to make a suit of armor that doesn't have a big obvious power pack on it <laughs> that somebody could just punch, or I guess in Luke Cage's case, just watch to see when the lights go out, <laughs> um, or shrapnel bullets or, or whatever. It's that's. And the problem is once you sort of get to that point of, okay, something has to hurt him. Well, once you're in the realm of physical injury, shrapnel's always going to be a problem. Right. Be it Iron Man or Luke Cage or whatever. Good point. Good point. I mean, it does bring up one thing. Before we got to Diamondback and really just saw and realized, oh, it's going to be a fucking punch out in the middle of the street. <laughs> That last episode. The where, Rope-A-Dope episode? Yeah, where they had the training montage of when they were kids learning how to box. Yeah. Um, I literally uh, wrote down the note. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I can't find exactly what I wrote down, but it was like they're writing this as if, uh, as if it was Rocky if Rocky was a superhero. So basically they're writing this like Rocky IV. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not good. But uh, that, <laughs> that's not good. It could have been Rocky Five. Oh <laughs> Jesus! Oh, that one also had a street fight and oh. a boxing montage. So, <laughs> it can always be worse. Let's oh. always remember that. But but one thing occurred to me before I realized: oh, they're just going to punch on each other eventually. Was uh, there was a real possibility that this could have been, in certain ways, it was, but could have been completely a story about the concept of muscle versus political power. Yeah, which. Was touched on a little here, was touched on a bit in Daredevil season one. You know, the idea of trying to use violence versus what appears to be entrenched. And apparently, to the public, because they've been lied to, apparently righteous political power um, and how that reacts to each other and what the public reaction would be. But yeah, it's a, there, there was a certain amount of that here. And that, mm-hmm. to me, that was the most interesting part of. This guy who's going out and literally just knocking people out in a hoodie. Yeah. Uh, dealing with Mariah uh, saying, oh, no, he's the worst person in the world. 
But nah, even with that, there wasn't nearly as much of it as I would have liked, because even as that was going on, we had Cottonmouth sending goons out to punch people out and say it was Luke Cage tax or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's sort of the the problem is how does conventional power deal with this new threat to the status quo? Yeah. And I think we actually, we got more of it in Daredevil season one because it wound up being... Wilson Fisk was destroyed by legal political means and responded with violence. Yes. Whereas in this, it's kind of turned on its head. Luke Cage is, he's not a lawyer. He he doesn't have any white collar journalist friends who can help him take anything. All he has is super strength and being indestructible. Yeah. And trying to figure out how, if that's all you have against an entrenched political reality, what you could do. And we got a certain amount of it, you know, just trying to be a symbol and, but there's got to be more practical than, okay, I'll just be out here and be a symbol. Cause it's, it's a legitimate question. You know, if you are politically powerless and the power over you is political, how can you overcome that? Right. And I don't think we got a lot of that here. Beyond, well, we didn't because I'll stand on the corner and get shot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we didn't, he did have an ally and a police officer, but even that wasn't enough to keep him out of having to go back to prison at the end. That's true. And one thing I really liked about this that we really haven't addressed at all, he fucking loses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luke Cage is not triumphant at the end of this. I mean, Mariah doesn't get prosecuted. Diamondback is he's under the doctor's care, which means he's going to come back with legitimate fucking superpowers. Um, Whiny bitch. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Luke's in custody. He's going back to fucking jail. Yeah. So I give him credit for having the stones in a Marvel Disney property. It's weird. It seems like the darkest Marvel properties are on TV, on Netflix. <laughs> on Netflix specifically, yeah. <clears throat> the uh, I mean, I, I think it starts to make a case for everyone is stronger if they come together because there are some, there are some battles that despite your best efforts, you're not going to win and you need others to come in on so that that light can be shown. Yeah, I suppose. And at the end of this, we've got the handoff. Claire is going to go back to her life and she walks by um, a, a post that has a sign for martial arts training for self-defense and it's for Colleen Wing. So we know that this is going into Kung Fu, um, into Iron Fist. Uh, you and I have been uh, together for 15 years. <laughs> you and I, uh, we were not together for the first X-Men movie, but we were together, I think, for every superhero movie, television show, property <laughs> that that has come out since the superhero resurgence. I don't think I've ever heard you squee. <laughs> In the way you squeed when you clawed for the pause button and said, that's Colleen Wing. That's a Colleen Wing flyer. <laughs> to which my response was, who? Who's that again? And you looked at me all hurt. It's like, I didn't realize you were such a Colleen Wing aficionado. She's cool. She kicks ass. <laughs> what have I seen her in? Because she's not currently in Power Man and Iron Fist. No, but I mean, she, she is sort of a... She's in the... Iron Fist universe. Um, she is affiliated with um, m- all of those sort of Marvel Knights kind of characters. So she gets some 
some play in there with um, Dakota North and all of that. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's badass. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. It was... Most recently, she showed up actually in one of the Civil War Choosing Sides books. Okay. There, there are a couple of those that I haven't gone all the way through yet. So, <laughs> But it's, I couldn't believe it. It's Colleen Wing. I'm like, what? Who's Colleen <laughs> Wing? And you, you looked at me like I'd grown a tail. <laughs> Or said Governor Johnson for Emperor or some weird shit. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's cool. I'm looking forward to her. <laughs> so am I now. You generally have good taste. <laughs> I didn't realize the thing that was gonna happen. So, <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean the the reality was as much as I would have well, I give him credit for ending on a downer mm-hmm. and I would have I think liked yeah, you know, it's you can't really review something based on oh, you know what I would have liked, but still, I would have liked. Yeah, all right, I've got all this power, and it ultimately doesn't matter. Or how can yeah, it's have the final battle not be a punch up because that's not how you beat entrenched political power unless it's a fucking revolution. And I don't think Disney Marvel is prepared <laughs> for that. They're not quite ready to go there. Yeah, and that's uh, unfortunately the the reality. It, it is a Marvel property owned by Disney, the people who brought you Star Wars last year. And that means if it's got Marvel on it, a couple of dudes are going to kick the crap out of each other at the end of it, no matter what you've laid down ahead of that. Right. That's just how it's going to be. So well, I think that might be the ultimate lesson in in this show. Is all right. So you've got all this power. <laughs> so the ultimate lesson is armed insurrection is the only answer. <laughs> Throw off your chains no. and destroy Captain America. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the opposite. So it's like all right. So Power Man, your your power is you punch things and you're bulletproof, but you're dealing with this other threat that punches aren't going to help. So now what do you do? Okay. <laughs> I I don't disagree with you. It's I would have uh, I would have liked to have seen it more explicit, and I would have liked to have seen more of it. The minute Diamondback showed up, I, I don't want to say the show jumped the shark because I enjoyed it all the way through, but it became far less compelling to me because it became obvious. It's uh, okay. It's just, yeah. It's going to be a yeah. It's going to be a fight, and that's fine. If I didn't like superhero fights, the. <laughs> I'd be at the bar right now. So I, I think I think it leaves Luke Cage with a compelling reason to, you know, reacquaint himself at the very least with Jessica Jones. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's gonna have to happen. I mean, Defenders is coming. It was announced at New York Comic Con. You know, the antagonist is Sigourney Weaver, whoever she's gonna be playing. Right. Oh, can we talk for just um backtrack for a second? Can we talk about shades? <laughs> Sure. Shades, I found amusing. Because at first he shows up and he seems like this threatening background character. And you have this question, is he actually Diamondback? He's not. He's middle management. And <laughs> like in the gangster world, he's middle management. <laughs> and it just it just amused me when I, when I came to that realization watching his arc over the course of the series. Because... He grew up in this, and he, he worked his way up, and he, and, and he has a certain vision for how he thinks things should be, and he's seeing the people in management above him fuck up. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to try to step in to bring it back to what he sees as how it should be, and it just goes so poorly for him. <laughs> well, ultimately it doesn't. Yeah. You know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Right. Except you can make out with this one. So. But it, it was just funny. <laughs> 
Well, it's particularly the way he was introduced. I was so convinced that he had some kind of superpowers. Yeah. You know, we, they said he came from Seagate. I'm like, oh, they experimented on him too. And you know, supposedly he came from Diamondback. And he takes the big flourish of taking his sunglasses off saying, I had to look into your eyes. Like, oh, can he tell the truth? Does he have laser vision? No, he's, he's a weasel who's found a way to make <laughs> himself a part, a cog in the machine that you can't easily take out. Yeah. And that's all it is. <laughs> it's middle management. Now, ultimately, his superpower <laughs> was sending a fake text and shooting somebody in the head. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Amanda, I've got superpowers, apparently. <laughs> I think I could handle that. Okay. Um, so anyway, I just, I just wanted to put that observation out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and, th- and that's legitimate. He was a character who <laughs> had a very strange arc through the whole thing. Yeah. And I was convinced... Like I think a lot of people were convinced. I think you were probably convinced. Like this guy's going to have such a huge part of it. So, no, he just sort of barely squeaks by. Well, it makes you wonder though if if Luke Cage the series would have benefited from trimming out a few characters. I have said through every one of these, none of these Marvel Netflix series need to be thirteen episodes. Every single one of them has fat, be it plot fat be it character fat, be it shit that meanders that doesn't necessarily need to be there. These don't need to be 13-hour stories. Yeah. They could be 10 hours and much tighter and still give you a solid binging experience. Because, yeah. Because we could have followed Mariah and and Cottonmouth for the whole 13 episodes or 10 if they wanted to trim things down with the specter of Diamondback just being there in the background and then in, like, series two, get to him. Like... (laughs) Yeah, it's. <laughs> you know, it could have just as easily. Um, the the end of it could have been uh, okay. I need to hire a dude, and who's the dude in Daredevil? Who uh, Melvin? Yeah, who's Gladiator? Who's already got the stilt man suit? And all right, fine. I need to hire somebody for the big violence thing. But yeah, have the overall theme be, you know, crime and history versus politics and where your station and family may doom you to be whether you want to be or not and still have a great punch up at the end of it. Diamondback, I don't really think added anything to this show beyond, all right, here's somebody so we can have a big fight. Yeah. And I, I don't know that you necessarily needed to have that. It, it, I think an, it could have been enough to have just introduced the, the Judas bullets and then kind of leave it on a cliffhanger. Uh, no, I think it, I think you need more than that. The bullets were enough to add some conflict in the middle Mm. Uh, to show, okay, he's been hurt and we need to resolve that. But if if you're... <laughs> the only way somebody with special bullets becomes an interesting superhero battle is in The Punisher. True. You know, Luke Cage getting shot at? Well, that's... So my that my question the... becomes, how soon before Frank Castle gets some of these Judas bullets? <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's on the market right now. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it's filming right now. We'll see that. Next year, I think. Yes. But, so, what the hell are we talking about? Judas Bullets. Oh, whether or not, uh, what needed to be trimmed and... and oh, right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can't do the show sober. I'm not, just not very good at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they could have easily trimmed stuff out. The The trip back to the South to meet the doctor again. They, they could have found a way to have dealt with the wound that didn't require an entire episode revisit. We already got the origin story. We already know who did what to him and why. It felt very Weapon X-y. Yeah. 
Weaponexy by way of at least, by God, it got him in the original costume. That's yeah. all I wanted. <laughs> I, it didn't have to be for forever. It's I, I found that I had shifting requirements from this show. I needed to see the original costume, mm-hmm. and I needed to hear Sweet Christmas. And then once I got those, I was starting to go like deep into it. I wanted to hear, where's my money, honey, from the episode where he goes to Latveria to get his $500 from Dr. Doom. We didn't get that. Say fiddle-faddle, say fiddle-faddle, say fiddle-faddle. I think that's more of a modern thing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute when we talk about comics. Fiddle-faddle, the inadequate crackerjack. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it did feel very Weapon X, and it's fine, but we didn't need to go back there and spend more time with that doctor, I don't think. Mm. You know, it, Did it serve to remind us, oh, he's still out there doing stuff? Uh, yeah, sure, but... Well, it also gave us a platform to to confirm. We already knew that Claire is is very intelligent and works well under pressure and has a, a great way of figuring out fixes for superheroes who ha- have difficulty being fixed for whatever reason, but to contrast her with the mad scientist dude who openly acknowledges her brilliance. <laughs> yeah, and it... it... It served a purpose, but you could have cut it. Where'd you do your residency? Hell's Kitchen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, there were, there's been stuff in every one of these that you, you could have cut out. Yeah. I still think these, yeah, should be 10 episodes. It's, it's like the, the advice that, that Coco Chanel famously gave about um, how one should present oneself and their style and you look in the mirror every day before you leave and, and take off one thing. <laughs> I thought she said not in my hair that shit doesn't wash out <laughs> she might have also said that but I don't think that's what she was famous for saying okay <laughs> and that's why I haven't worn underpants in public in years <laughs> but that's not the point right now that's between you and your Calvins uh, <laughs> different designer yes uh, okay we've lost control of this <laughs> So I'm just saying, you know, Mar- Marvel TV show writers, l- look at your storyboard, take off one thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're selling an extra four episodes or three episodes worth of ad revenue. Yeah. Then uh, keep keep it tight. And and this is, I'm still saying this, part of why I think I said it the first few times is, yeah, we've watched the first three in a savage burn from Friday night to Sunday, hopefully in time to do the show uh, about that on Sunday. Yeah. And yeah, once you get to 13 hours out of 48 yeah, you're like, uh, okay, can we get to the point? Because I still have to do a show for an hour and 45 <laughs> minutes. And Well, we watch these as fans, but also with the purpose of we're going to talk about them. Most of the fans are just watching it in a savage burn because they're fans. Well, and that's absolutely true, but it's I have felt still for all, f- you know, again, for Daredevil, we weren't able to do the show. Yeah. Uh, for this, we weren't able to do the show because of timing. We couldn't watch all of them. Right. And but even saying okay, fine. Now we can just do two or three during the week. You know, each night. It's still two or three. It still feels long to me. Yeah. It. And and I would have to call like a a hard stop because I'd be like, all right, we could watch another one, but I have to get up at quarter five. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like these things should be like watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Even which, which one? The- even. The, <laughs> The, the good one, not the Hobbit one. The, <laughs> no, and, I mean, like the extended footage one? Yeah, or the extended... <laughs> you and I have spent a perfectly pleasurable 10 hours on a Saturday or a Sunday watching all those movies in one shot. Yeah. Much longer than that? Yeah, you can't fit it in or you got to break it up. You know, 
that just feels 10 hours feels like a good chunk to me. You can do it in one long day and be like, that was an awesome day. At 13 hours, it's really hard to fit in. Cuts into the rest of your weekend. Right. You got to come back to it another time. It's it, it just feels to me like a bin should be, yeah, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to cram them all down and all down my head in one shot. It's like it's why we haven't finished Stranger Things yet, which seems like blasphemy to like every other nerd that I talk to. But <laughs> well, it's, it's just there's so much out there. Yeah. That, yeah, finding seven or eight hours when, yeah, we've stacked up three or four Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on the TiVo. Flash has started again. Arrows started again. You know, Gotham's you, on there. Um, yeah. I know you don't care about it. <laughs> Not nearly as much these days, but so yeah, it's, it becomes uh, Christ in a couple weeks. Walking Dead's back. Yeah, we still have uh, Fear of the Walking Dead that we haven't watched yet. Yeah, so it's particularly with the technology that we have, and not everybody has the technology we have. It's like, oh, three terabytes worth of shit you can stack up for days and days and weeks. Yeah, it's like eighty percent full at this point. <laughs> yeah. So a binge feels like yeah, if if I can spend a day, mm. give me a day where it's also you know yeah, if I need to stop and go to the bathroom <laughs> or take a shower, <laughs> I can still fit it in. That's what I'm looking for. Ten hours feels right to me. Okay. Thirteen hours feels like no matter what you do. You have to stop and come back to it some other day. Yeah, thirteen hours, you start to chafe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else large scale about Luke Cage? Or I mean, where would you rank it? Where would I rank it? Um, I still think Jessica Jones is best. Jessica Jones is my favorite. Uh, Season one of Daredevil. After that. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. I think I would put this. Over season two of Daredevil, yeah, I'm not sure I would do that. Had again, Daredevil stopped sometime around Punisher, you know, before it went on and on. Yeah, because again, with Daredevil uh, season two, there were just too many things going on. It was all enjoyable, but I would rather focus either just on the Punisher or just on Elektra. Yeah, pick. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same thing that faced. Luke Cage, because yeah, Punisher, you know, John Bernthal was awesome. Those first episodes were really good. Yeah. Yeah, with Electra, yeah, okay, that was also, that was all right. But only all right. But it wasn't as good. Right. Yeah, say the Diamondback, yeah, you can get rid of Diamondback, that's okay. <laughs> Whiny bitch. <laughs> Sorry, it's a knee-jerk reaction now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And it's ironic, considering they tried so hard to make him badass. <laughs> um... Now, just looking at my uh, assorted notes here, I have here all in caps. Everything was fucking green. <laughs> Every wall, everything was green, and I don't know why. Because it contrasts well with yellow. Yellow was only in the one. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, look. I, I've said before, I'm a dope when it comes to these cinematic choices. You have to hit me over the head to see symbolism. In this one, I felt like I was hit over the head. It's like, wow, oh, everything's green. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't figure out what the showrunner, the director, the producer is trying to get at here with this. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that as much. I think that I think that the filter that they were running on it was to make it look more grindhousey. That's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just something I noticed. Yeah, clearly I'm running out of gas. It's okay. Ah. Uh, You'll have beer soon. Oh, thank God. All right, so yeah, next is yeah, 
fucking St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Iron Fist. Green. Yeah. That, so. I'm looking forward to that. In between now and then, we um, on the movie front, uh, Doctor Strange is going to drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you sound so resigned. <laughs> well, it's a, I really like what Jason Aaron has been doing with Doctor Strange. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think is the Doctor Strange we're going to get in the movie. No. Uh, <laughs> no, so, we, we get Cumberbatch as. <laughs> which is fine. I, I like him as an actor, but I don't have a lot invested in the character of Doctor Strange. It's That's the same thing as, hey, Thor Ragnarok's coming out. Okay. I don't care about Thor that much. It's but, as a but member it's going to be a, a buddy bro movie with the Hulk. And that might make me care more, but you know, the only Marvel movie I don't own is the first Thor. Okay. Uh, and I only bought The Lost World because I think that's the only Marvel movie we didn't go to see in the theater because I don't care that much about Thor. And I don't I, remember. Yeah. So it's just one of those... Look... I love comic books. That doesn't mean I have to love every character. That's okay. Doctor Strange, I, I think uh, what Aaron and Chris Boccolo have been doing has been awesome. Yes. Boccolo's it, art in particular is just great. Well, as an old Shade the Changing Man fan, it's like, oh, you're you're doing weird magical shit just in the middle of the street again? Yeah, well, please, it's also come like back. dudes together again after the run they did on Wolverine. So <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think that's been great, but I don't think that's what we're going to get in the movie and yeah. that, that's fine. Like I said, I'm sure I'll watch it and think it's perfectly good, but then you know, I'm <laughs> not sitting there go, Oh, Dr. Strange. Thank God. Like every other red blooded American male, <laughs> all I've wanted my whole life is a Dr. Strange movie. I needed to know how the incident affected the village. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dr. Strange had, has not been able to care. Able, he can't carry his own series for more than two or three years. So it's, hey, it opens up a whole new area of the Marvel Universe, and I'm sure Cumberbatch will be fine, and it will be perfectly great. It's Doctor Strange. I don't care that much. <laughs> I don't. Okay. What if what if Captain America shows up in it? Uh, well, then I think the world is doomed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll find a Marvel magic universe that's obsessed with the idea of magically recreating Steve Rogers. <laughs> That'll fuck everything he's up. He's magically delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You just bounced in your seat while you said that. Is that what you want to tell me? No. Nope. <laughs> Colleen Wing. Wee! All right. <laughs> All right. You want to talk about a couple comic books? Yes, let's. Let's, let's get away from <laughs> Luke Cage. Uh, you want let's to talk, talk about, about Power Luke... Man and Iron yeah, Fist? Yeah, let's talk about Luke Cage. <laughs> All right. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist number nine, written by David F. Walker, art by Sanford Green, and... Uh, Flaviano? Yes. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Anyway. One name, like Madonna. Yes. So uh, Ulysses uh, has seen a vision of Cage performing a jailbreak of Danny Rand, who mm. is in Rikers. Uh, and just as Luke was trying to decide whether or not to actually, you know, do that jailbreak, uh, Captain Marvel and her preemptive crimes crew show up and everything goes to hell. Uh yeah, that's pretty much where we're at here. <laughs> I enjoyed this book, but I have to preface this whole conversation by saying this is the worst cover I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, there are some very good and very bad things in this issue, uh, and one of them is uh, the cover. 
Um, the cover. It, it's, it's by his, Sanford Green, who did the interior art, which is not bad. But it's as though he decided he was going to draw this by getting a couple of Kendall characters and laying them out. And then he takes Barbie, who has like weird articulation points, and then takes like her hip on her left side and then rotates the leg in such a way that the knee is now pointing toward the other straight leg in a way that really can only be done um, with an inanimate object who won't cry out in pain. Yeah. Also, um, I'm seeing way too much Carol Danvers crotch here. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's the, the two actual heroes of the story, they're at the bottom of the page, and their faces are off toward the edge. Yes. So the focus is just automatically not going to go there. Captain Marvel's head, she's supposed to be standing over them while they're unconscious. Little tiny head. Yeah, her head is way up at the top of the page. It's crowded in between the Marvel bullet and the Civil War II logo, and her head is significantly smaller than the Civil War logo. Her boobs are bigger than her head. Yes, but yeah, what's dead center in the fucking cover? It's her crotch. Right in between two big attention-grabbing splashes of Kirby Crackle, that's her fucking crotch, which, by the way is larger on the page than her fucking head. Yeah. Yes, I measured it. No, I did not masturbate while I was I, doing I'm it, but I it measured with my it. my eyes. It's all I can see. Yeah. So <laughs> it, I mean, when people make jokes about like childbearing hips, she could give birth to a football team. For all I know, she just gave birth to Luke Cage and Iron <laughs> Fist. It's, it's Sanford, your interior art is not bad. This is not a great cover, buddy. It's not. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So, overall, the, Getting that out of the, the way. book itself, with with now the cover uh, <laughs> turned and officially out of both of our views. Yes. Um, one thing that struck me in this, like I said, there were a couple of things that were really good. And those things came down to dialogue. There's a lot of action in this book, and yet almost none of it mattered to me. Right. It was there because it's a superhero book so there needs to be punching and explosions yeah the, the prison break happened not because of anything luke did it was more because carol's team is not competent <laughs> well uh, yeah and part of what i really liked about this book is various characters get to say things to captain marvel that i want nick fury to scream in her face when she's in the dock at the end of all of this this yes. is this is the first book i think i've seen where she basically admits she's wrong and can't justify a single goddamn thing that she's done, even as she's firing around that other people are being arrogant and that they need to respect her authority. And people are repeatedly screaming at her, no, you have no ground or standing to do this, and this is what got Rhodey killed. You got Rhodey killed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's all this book would have had to have done for me to be like, d- d- bravo, yes. <laughs> Thank God, finally, because I'm so sick of Civil War Two and Captain Marvel in Civil War Two. Yeah, but the only person who gets to write people sitting around tables talking to each other is Bendis, and he's <laughs> busy fucking up the main title. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's a ton of action in this that doesn't matter. We get a, a battle with Disco, what's his name, Disco Devil and yes. Cockroach, <laughs> and Chico's Bail Bonds that advances some greater plot point that I can't to save my life remember. And I've been reading the last four or five issues of this. Uh, yeah, because it's been a pretty good book. It's caught my attention, uh, but it's also it's not a weighty read. Yeah, so 
I get it. I have fun with it. And then some details I forget and I have to go back and, and I haven't been able to find issue eight to refresh my memory. Okay. But uh, yeah, we've got Senor Magico. And I remember there's some particular reason for him to be there fighting a demon, but I'd be fucked if well, I remember. Well, there's magical encrypting on a, on a tablet that uh, a couple That's of right. cages associates got a hold of. And the tablet has a database where all known heroes are and this vigilante group or bounty hunters are going out and preemptively taking out these um, heroes and and former criminals, basically anybody that's profiled as being a threat, and they're doing it for cash, and it's it's wrong, and it's racially charged, basically. And they're trying to figure out how to get into the software to, to see the database. Yes, this has come back to me. And then somebody we can't identify just comes and gets the damn thing. Yeah, and says, try to take it from me. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, all this stuff is going on. We have bonding moments in between uh, Mockingbird and... Songbird. Uh, and Songbird, which doesn't really advance. For me, the money shot is... Yeah, the only violent thing that matters is Luke taking a bullet from Bushwhacker to save Carol. Yep. And then Carol checking on Luke and being completely unable to defend the things that she's done. Yeah. And ultimately, spoilers, letting him go. Yes. So there were, and there were some key moments, all of which addressed all the problems that I've had with Civil War II when it comes to Captain Marvel and how anybody's going to let her walk free at the end of this. It's Carol tells Luke he's under arrest, and Luke protests he wasn't doing anything, which, by the way, was another moment that Bendis wrote in Civil War I. Yeah. That at midnight, the Superhero Registration Act went into effect, and he specifically had Cage in his apartment sitting quietly in the dark to force the cops to come for him even though he hadn't done anything. Right. So even this is, is nothing new. Luke Cage has broken out to be the character of, I'm going to be the one to show why you're all pricks. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 this appears to be another. Well, they're using him for that purpose in in his own series. The, they They use him to advance at the street level why... Enhanced humans, inhumans, any any sorts of powered individuals after the Sokovia Accords are a threat. Right. Yeah, there's a certain amount of that. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a good role for him, I guess. Well, it's... It, look, when you've got a character who has legitimately been imprisoned while innocent, that's a character that can be used for any story where it's a questionable... Right. Over override of justice. Yeah. Tragedy of justice. I don't know. Miscarriage of justice. Thank you. I'm wicked sober. It's a problem. To get you to watch some more match game. Miscarriage of blank. <laughs> Your mother. Ponies? <laughs> <laughs> but uh Yeah, I mean the, the the key moment in this is Danny screaming at Carol when she asked how Luke was, asking her how she didn't know how he was when her prediction is supposedly so complete and accurate and Marvel backs down. She knows she was wrong. Well, there's also... And yet we got two more months of this shit! But can we also point out that we they went after Luke Cage, who is the the black man they're focusing on who might cause a prison breakout, and yes. Carol finally doesn't shut up and back down until the white privileged guy with money screams at her that she's wrong. I hadn't picked up on that at all, but you've you've got a point. <laughs> you've got a pretty legitimate point, particularly considering, yeah, the white guy with money was the one who was imprisoned for at 
at least at the time, legitimate legal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> You're freaking me out, man. <laughs> this is what it's like to operate sober. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the last time. Trust me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it, on, the man. only misstep for me, honestly, is that after Carol left, um, Luke admitted to Danny he was at least thinking about it. He just wasn't sure what he was going to do when Carol got there. And that's one of the biggest problems with Civil War Two. For this to work, you have to have these hoops being jumped through. Yeah. It's not enough that Captain Marvel's wrong. You have to have some reason there for me, uh, maybe she's right. Even though if you're reading how all of these stories are being written, she is so clearly in the wrong. I cannot imagine the scenario where Civil War Two ends and everybody says, Thank you, Captain Marvel, for imprisoning us for doing nothing. Yeah. It's I can't see how she comes out of this on the winning side, and yet you have to keep jumping through these hoops to keep her viable. Right. And I can't see, it, and it becomes infuriating. You're right. That was a terrible ending. Number yeah. one, it didn't need to be stated. We've been reading the book. We're aware of it. Right. You know, I understood. Uh, Carol didn't just show up while he's, oh, no, I've been in a medically induced coma, and I was planning to be in one <laughs> for the next six months. I couldn't possibly do the things. No, he was thinking about doing a jailbreak. He was talking to people, seeing, all right. Maybe he asked how people we... to show up to help him. <laughs> right. So maybe how can we do this if we're going to do it? It's, if you've been reading it, you know. Hammering the nail on the head at the end yeah. to make Danny even doubt him, not necessary. Right. And it, it, to me, it was just another story hoop of, oh, for fuck's sake, Nobody is on Captain Marvel's side. If if you're listening and you're on Captain Marvel's side, please email me. Email us and tell us. No dick pics. I no no dick pics. No goatsy. No, the, no yeah no 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 Captain Marvel crotch like in the cover of this. <laughs> I'm done with that for the week. <laughs> for the week. No, maybe next week. <laughs> I got to recover. I'm not as young as I used to be, but. I'd love to hear somebody who's like, oh, no, I think this is probably a legitimate viewpoint. I, I hope this character wins. I'd love to hear that because I can't imagine it. I mean, I, too, wanted Tom Cruise to get pummeled in my own Minority Report, but I had entirely different reasons than supporting Minority Report. Exactly. <laughs> so, to, and it's a problem that I'm having with all of these, the hoops they have to jump to to make it at least plausible, like it matters. Ultimately, that's the biggest problem I have. Like, it matters. Oh, it may have been a legitimate premonition. It's You're jailing people based on the word of somebody with a premonition. Well, I think the, the important point here is, even though they, they ha ham-fistedly hammered home that he was at least thinking about it, assuming people were just picking this book up for the first time or whatever, you know, what if Thanos also was just going to touch down and think about doing whatever it was he was going to do? I mean, pr he probably was going to do whatever it was he was going to do. But he might not have. <laughs> there is. <laughs> I, I, I he guess might have I, gotten distracted. You know, maybe death rode by. Ooh. I guess I will. <laughs> I guess I will give Civil War Two exactly this much credit. It has us arguing repeatedly. <laughs> uh, I think there is a huge difference between. I've had a premonition that Thanos will show up and begin blowing up New York. And having the Avengers be there for his arrival to see what happens, there's a difference between that and, hello, citizen, we've had a premonition you're going to rob a bank and we're going to put you in jail. Yeah. There is a 
solid moral but, difference between I have advanced knowledge of this, so I will be there to intervene as it's happening, than there is for I'm going to intervene ahead of time and take you off the board. Yes. If you know who the suicide bomber is, and you know where they're going to be and when they're going to press the button, you can but he d- cordon off with they, superheroes and... To my recollection, they didn't intervene with Thanos as it was happening. They preemptively showed up before he did anything other than show up. Same thing. It's not the same thing. If, I, I disagree. If if the if you're not gonna intervene, if <laughs> if, if the cops, if if our local constabulary were to hear, yeah, I heard that. Rob is going to rob the liquor. He's going to get drunk and rob the liquor store. It is very different to have a cruiser sitting out front to dissuade me, perhaps. Yes. To catch me in the act as I'm doing it, since you know I'm going to do it. That is very different than kicking down my door and arresting me because you heard I was going to do it. Okay. There are ways that this could be done. Oh, we hear Rob's going to do it with an automatic weapon. Well, then kick my door down, catch me with a machine gun, and arrest me for having an illegal machine gun. I'm okay with that. That's legit. I'm not. They still need a warrant. You're not getting a warrant because, you know, hippie boy with the red eyes says, oh, I saw him with a machine gun. Well, okay. But it's assuming we can take the word of this child as law. It's, uh all right, I'll give Bendis credit. We're arguing about it. I want to tap that kid's head into the pavement. I read Ulysses 3. <laughs> yeah, it would have been much better if you if that had ended with uh, Karnak just bashing his shit fucking head apart. <laughs> but, Door not special. <laughs> so, but it, it's, yeah, I guess it's uh, where's your line? Is, is any of it okay? I don't know. In, in my head, if Ulysses says, yeah, Rob's going to show up at the liquor store and yeah, you want to, you want to put a plainclothes cop in the front door to put a gun to my head the minute I kick the door in and say this is a robbery? That's okay. Well, that's just it. Then, then you've at least committed the crime. Then I've done something. Yeah. Yes. So I, I show up at the prison, see what Luke's going to do. If it looks like he's going to start doing it have and, and breaking people out of prison, then take care of it. But until he actually like puts fist to wall... He is still innocent. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the sticking point I keep having with this story. I can't the that bridge too far and Captain Marvel's embrace of it. I can't imagine anybody condoning it. Well, and it, and it still also bothers me that Monica Rambo is on her side because I, I feel like if there's anybody <laughs> who who would be in a good place to be like, no, you're wrong, and here's why particularly given the side she was on heading into um, the end of Secret Wars. Right. Uh, yeah. Th- this is this should not be. Maybe gotta- and she's got the power set. She's one of the few individuals on the board with the power set to, when Carol does something, say no, and I have more power than you, and here's why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, we talked in our, our last episode how weird it is for me that Spider-Man is on that side. Although, with the way he's been written, you can at least kind of understand it. Yeah. Monica yeah. Rambo has no excuse. Alright, look, at this point we've spent two episodes spending a good chunk of time arguing about Civil War 2. 
I guess that makes it more successful than I want to say it is. Well, it's like, you know, saying something's successful because it's it generated a lot of clicks. Clickbait is the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and I'm sure her I'm sure her dress did jo- drop jaws. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to click on it. I yeah. don't want your malware. Well, and, <laughs> and maybe that's uh, that's the other difference cuz I'm thinking, you know, I look back to 80s action movies. We talked about Rocky 4. Ivan Drago is written so that you're supposed to hate him. Ivan Drago is written so you're supposed to want to see him punched into the goddamn dirt. Yeah. This is Captain Marvel, not Ivan Drago. I know. And that's that's <laughs> And that's what's killing me. It's This is a fucking superhero. I, I don't disagree. Again, they they have done more to fuck Honestly, the the cover makes more sense to me now because they've had to contort this woman into such awful shape in order to make her do the things that she's doing. Honestly, Green Green I think did this as a comment on the whole fucking story. <laughs> it, it's possible. Because <laughs> right now it's going, don't do the obvious joke. Don't do the obvious joke. Don't do the obvious joke. <laughs> and I won't. Thank you. <laughs> but, so, all right, I'll give it credit. It's, it's got us talking. But yeah, how we get out of this without Captain Marvel just being banished to outer space, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Anything else about this particular issue as no. we've gone far afield on Civil War? <laughs> Maybe next week we'll talk about a couple of rebirth issues. Those have been more fun. Those have been more fun. I enjoyed the Wonder Woman one, Wonder Woman one this week that did not have Wonder Woman in it. I have not gotten to that one yet. It was a huge take this week. It was. It was. So, And I'm not all the way through it. And thank you for Lost Boys, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised you didn't say, yeah, let's talk about that. Because oh, I haven't finished reading it all the way through yet. I've started reading it. I, I have a stack over by the fireplace. Yeah. it's We're <laughs> we're ch- obviously children of the 80s, so The Lost Boys is a... It's, if you're a comic fan, fan in the 80s, it was a huge movie for you because it was... It showed, yeah, the Frog Brothers were fucking losers, but it showed, <laughs> it showed the, a comic store as a legitimate business uh, <laughs> and showed real comic books. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, it's uh, that soundtrack in 1987. You couldn't escape it. So yeah, it's true. <laughs> so yeah, there was a was it Kyle Higgins did that. Yeah, there's a Vertigo Lost Boys. I yes. think it, no, it wasn't Kyle him. No. Tim Seeley. Tim Seeley. Tim Seeley uh, wrote it, and it's ignoring all the other weird one-off <laughs> Lost Boys sequels. It's pretending it's happening six months after the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So anyway, there's that. It, it was fun. It's fun. But that's not. Um, what but we're I, talk. I I wanted to since um, this is not a movie property, although it's about movies and it is a horror book. Um, I wanted to talk about Glitter Bomb, which is in its second issue this week. Yes, Glitter Bomb number two, written by Jim Zub. Yes, uh, art by I'm going to mangle this. Uh, Hebrew uh, Morissette. Yes, uh, Morissette fan and K. Michael Russell. Yes. So yeah, I mean, and this my, my notes for. Uh, <laughs> My notes for this issue was, yeah, Farah, our protagonist, has eaten her agent, and it went okay. <laughs> it's it's the secret desire, actually, of pretty much any actress or possibly actor in Hollywood who feels that their their representation isn't doing enough to get them work. <laughs> I would imagine. Uh, <laughs> I was never high enough on any show business chain to have anything remotely like I rep- just, representation. I- I like this because it, it mashes up um, the the dark side of of Holly Weird and and gives us sort of a 
Cthulhu like <laughs> creature that we have to deal with <laughs> that's coming from from the depths of the horrors of your your soul or what's left of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm honestly not certain how I feel about this book. Uh on paper, I like the concept. I think it's like you said, it's the the elevator pitch is Cthulhu possesses some mid-level actress from Star Trek the Next Generation uh and then starts to eat Hollywood. Yeah. And that's a good hook. Uh I like that. Um before I go into problems, it's uh, why don't you uh, this is the one you called. This is the one I called. It I enjoyed the the first issue um and and needed to sort of reacquaint myself with it before the second issue. What's What's selling it to me, honestly, is it's in conjunction with these essays uh, written by Holly Rachel Hughes <laughs> that Zub has been putting in the back of these about her experience working in Hollywood and how it chewed her up and spit her out and made her have to spend time away. Like She had to legitimately get out of it in order to heal and be whole and get on with her life. Okay. I read the one in the first issue. Yeah. I didn't get to the... Um, she, she... Or I didn't notice it was there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I miss the back matter. <laughs> Um, she, she went through, um, in the first essay, this whole, um, situation where she was asked to come in and help out on production on a low budget movie for a friend of hers. And, and she was successful in her own right, but had reasons why she was going to take this job because she needed to put some space between herself and what was going on in her own life. And in the course of it was just horribly, just misogynistically abused by pretty much everyone that she worked with and there was no escape but there's this thing that happens to you as when you're working as a woman and you're, you're taking that kind of abuse where it's like i'm just going to take it i'm going to show everybody i'm stronger um and i need this for my next job so the best way to be competent is to be better than everybody else at this job and sometimes when you get to the end of the job you realize you've got nothing left and then what happens yeah okay no i did like i said i read the first one so as a backdrop for what's going on with Farah, our protagonist in this story. Um, so you've been through all of this sort of soul sucking, you know, going on auditions, reaching some level of success, not being successful, now finding yourself in a situation where you have a child that you're caring for, but this is all you know. You know what does that do to a person when, when they realize they're at the end of things? And is there a way to move forward? Yeah. And there's part of the problem that I have with this is the pacing is slow right now. So we're a couple issues in and we've seen, yeah, okay. She was, and I, I pictured like Yeoman Rand level in the first Star Trek, you know, yeah. a recurring <laughs> character who popped up now and again, but certainly wasn't Captain Kirk or Jean-Luc Picard or yeah. Um, yeah, anything like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, so we we see the the one audition, and that's bad. Certainly, that was in the first uh, episode where clearly she's just passed over for the younger model, and we get a revisit to that in this from the younger model's point of view, mm-hmm. with the same fears that I'm sure Farah had at that time of, oh God, I don't want to reach that point where, yes, my tits are starting to sag and I'm starting to get crow's feet, and I just I'm angry. Yeah. Which, if you listen to almost 
any actress with enough power to not be blacklisted in Hollywood these days is a recurring thing. Uh, it was Anne Hathaway not too long ago. I think I read an interview with her where she said, yeah, it's starting to happen to me, even at, at my relatively young age. And I hate it, but at the same time, I took advantage of it when I was 18. It's well, a terrible system. Um, Olivia Wilde was passed over in favor of Margot Robbie to play Leonardo DiCaprio's wife in Wolves of Wall Street. And it's on the, on the face of it, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that there's cultural knowledge that I'm not sure is necessarily in the book, Doesn't it, which is fine. That works. But it's, with the pace we're at right now, we saw one bad audition. We have implied some bad years. We now have the implication in this issue of maybe some past drug abuse, mm-hmm. um, perhaps addiction to hallucinogens, which I don't think I've ever heard of, but okay. Well, yeah, and... In the first book, though, we're, we're dealing with, even though she has a young child at home that she's trying to support, she's so bereft after getting passed over at that audition that she almost kills herself. Right. Which is the moment when she's possessed by this thing. And in the next book, it's, okay, now I'm dealing with this, and it's causing me to affect my relationships. Like the one person who's there for her, she kicks out of the house. Her Her child is knows something's wrong and is afraid of her. <laughs> yeah, that's the other the other thing I'm having a problem with is right now I don't think I like anybody in this book. Yeah. <laughs> that Farah was prepared to end her her own life and leave her child parentless because of a, a not a bad audition, but a career that went not necessarily where she thought it was going to go. Yeah. In this one, yeah, we've got, uh, what's his name, Dean. Mm-hmm. Dean's a little quick to pull his wallet out and and buy friendship and affection uh, he doesn't seem like the best guy in the world yep uh we've got the babysitter who the deal was i think 50 bucks and she grifted dean for 150 because why not is is and the only reason she puts up with the fact that farah doesn't pay her on time and constantly asks her to to watch her kid is because maybe just maybe she'll introduce her to her agent yeah that's right i'd forgotten about that so that's going on i mean even her kid marty We've spent a couple of scenes with him in two books, and we've seen him as a pants-shitting fucking whiner. <laughs> I don't like the kid. I <laughs> well, let's, let's be fair. He's not getting parented. Well, that's true. And the other part of it is, you know, uh, look, <laughs> I, I wanted a career in comedy when I was in my 20s, and I was good enough to get to a certain point, but only that point. Right. And... When you're a goddamn grown-up, it's, all right, I'm going to do this other thing now. You don't have to give everything up. You don't have to walk into a fucking ocean. Sometimes you start a podcast. <laughs> By God, I learned some stuff, and I have fun doing it, and all right, I'll do this. There's no money in it. Well, there wasn't any money in it before. Well, that's sort of the point they're making here about what the entertainment industry can do to a person. Not everybody has the coping skills. Not everybody has the ability when things aren't going as they would have hoped to to shift gears and do something else. So, you know, whereas you or I would move on to some other project and did. <laughs> yeah. Um there are plenty of other folks for whom they would they might be looking, you know, Cthulhu demon aside, might be looking at God, this is my life every day. Yeah, which is which is valid. Look, What's going on in this story is valid. There's some entertainment value, but so far, there's nobody I particularly... I like the demon. 
<laughs> I want the demon to win. I want him to kill a few more assholes. Uh, and in- clearly he's not going to be spoiled for choice. I'm interested in Detective Isaac Rahal. Who we, we that was that was one really interesting moment in this issue. There's one well scripted and drawn and colored panel where there's an intimation where maybe he knows more about what's going on than a detective who just walked in should. Right. So yeah, there's there's something there. So I, I'm I'm interested in in where that goes. I just I like it because I think I'm drawn to the fact that okay we've got we've got a a female protagonist who's dealing with some difficult shit and it's sort of noir-like and it's set in, in Hollywood in the entertainment industry. And I, I'm the kind of person who, who will read gossip columns and I feel bad about myself, but I do it. I feel bad about you too. <laughs> when you do that. It's like a horrible car crash and I can't look away. It's just, but <laughs> look, I'm not saying that I, I dislike the book. Um, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, glitter bomb, because it's, <laughs> it's packed with douchebags. It is. And uh, I want to see the demon begin to kill them more. Glitter bomb, now packed with douchebags. Yeah. that <laughs> The first issue had one of the best openings to a comic that grabbed you by the lapels with both hands yeah. that I've seen in a long time with, yeah, oh, this sleazy agent, and it's just, okay, here's a slice of life straight out of... Uh, you can imagine any casting couch level. Oh, you're too old, and we're looking. And <laughs> suddenly, yes, the demon erupts from Farah's mouth, rips the guy's head off, and she says, "Oh no, not again!" Smash cut to the big credits. It's like, all right, that was a good opening. Yeah, and I, I want to see more than that. Yeah, kill all the assholes. Give me a revenge fantasy. Well, I guess here's the question: Is you know, is Zub writing this slow because he's writing it for the trade, or is there a reason that he's using this pacing? It's he's a, a good enough writer. I trust him. Yeah, I, I trust that I will see the right people get killed for the right reasons. I also trust that over time I will be shown why they are absolutely the right reasons. I'm also curious because they they went back to Brooks' character at the beginning of of issue two. Here is she an important enough character that we're going to be seeing more of her down the line? Because you would think, based on the on the first issue, she she wasn't anybody of any consequence other than the reason that Pharaoh was passed over. Yeah, I don't know. I certainly wasn't expecting to see her again. So, uh, look, and she doesn't tell she doesn't tell her version of things truthfully. If you go back to the first issue, in the first issue, you know she she does try to act nice to her, but then she's kind of bitchy at the end. Well, and that I I, I put that down to everybody's the hero of their own story. Yeah. You know, very few people say, wow, I, I am an asshole, <laughs> unless it's demonstrated to them. Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, in her own head, oh, no, I just tried to put positivity out. And let's face it, you know, Farah hit her with negativity first because it's easy and she probably deserved it. People who smile all the time should be avoided. <laughs> Notice you don't see Captain America doing a lot of frowning. Just saying. <laughs> but. <laughs> I, I like this because it's an interesting interesting take on on what you can do uh, with comics. This isn't a, a capes and cowl story. This is, isn't even a straightforward detective story. It's <laughs> no, and this could be a great horror story. And it's it's probably too early yet to be able to either damn it or praise it because it, yeah, it's it's not something that lends itself to one and done. Or it had a great opening. 
but two issues in, yeah, the only one I'm rooting for is the demon because <laughs> everyone's a prick. <laughs> I, I want to know more about the detective. And, I, and, I don't disagree with you. Everybody is a prick. And, and that's fine. In five issues, my opinion probably will be completely different. We'll have more supporting characters, more information about the supporting characters that we've already been introduced to who haven't been eaten. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, I'm just saying... I'm saying she lost her babysitter here because you know, she ate her agent now. So... <laughs> It's it shows how reprehensible somebody is. Wow, this kid shits his pants. <laughs> but if I can't meet the agent, that's <laughs> it, look. It does not escape me that the image that we have had of this demon is of something with an appetite, something that eats its own. The first thing that Heather that we really see Heather kill. Well, no, she kills the wino first in the first episode, right? Yes, the first episode, first issue. That's what happens when we talk about Netflix. Hobo. I, I, I thought of him more of as a hobo. Oh, yes. Just a, a jaunty hobo. You know, one Selling of those... maps to the stars and one of those in your purse. Rapscallion hobos who commits grand theft auto. <laughs> rifling the purses of unconscious women at the beach. Rapscallion you know? <laughs> hobo. That will be the name of my next album. There you go. But... That's going to be your, your pop fusion funk hip hop experience, right? Yeah, my jazz odyssey fusing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's too early for me to yeah either say this is the best thing ever or it's it's a slow build, and that's fine for slow build. Uh, it's fine that, that it's fine that things slow build is what I'm trying to get to. Man, I need a beer. <laughs> it's a, I'm I'm glad you're responding to it. I need a little more to okay. fully decide, yep, this is awesome, or That's eh, okay. it's not working for me. And the more people who die horribly, I think the better <laughs> I'm going to feel about things, because I haven't met anybody yet in this book who I want to live. And I think that's supposed to be the point, because the, the back matter of the second issue is about the horrible people you meet. <laughs> yeah. The backstabbing, the awful... Yeah, I suppose the the best thing that ever happened to me was I tried to go to New York and do some comedy before moving there and realized, wow, these people are kind of shit, and I don't think I want to do this. Yeah. And then just stuck to local. Yeah. I think it made it easier to made it easier to say, you know, I think I need to be realistic. I think it was when I, I did some shows in New York, and I was talking to somebody after a show, and, and in order to not have to work a straight day gig, she was selling used panties. To, to make ends meet and make rent. Uh, what was she uh, charging? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. You can't blame the industry for that. You know whose fault that is. I'm just saying, like, that I hadn't really thought of it because I have a day gig. So <laughs> it would never occur to me to not have a day gig. So <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was drilled into me as a kid you know, to have a backup. And so, yeah, I... Look, I pushed it as as hard as I reasonably could without dropping everything and going to New York or L.A. Yeah. And I think that's probably a trap that a lot of the characters in Glitter Bomb fell victim to. It's, no, I'm going to drop everything and this is what I'm going to do. Well, you have to, you know, some success is sometimes worse than no success. Yeah. So (laughs) I I had a couple things where I thought things were going to break my way. And uh, let's say it was demonstrated to me that I was an asshole afterwards. (laughs) So sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is just say, yeah, this isn't going to work out. You're, you're, you're wiser now. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. 
You can't even blame the industry for that. You just drank. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> I, I want to say it didn't help, but no, I took advantage of it every step of the way. <laughs> I did learn don't drink a pitcher of fucking Coors before talking to an HBO fucking producer. Now. You know that now. <laughs> uh, well, let's be fair. I also did a big shot of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why you, gentle listener, get this quality comics-based <laughs> entertainment for free. <laughs> <laughs> Next on the dump. I could have been somebody. That guy was a jackass. All right, why don't we wrap it up? <laughs> okay. Or, or do we have anything else? No, I think, I think that's it. Yeah, and, and make no mistake. This is not me saying I don't like Glitter Bomb and you do. It's a, I need to see a little more. And yeah, the, the faster we can get the fucking up dickheads, the happier I'm going to be. <laughs> okay. So... That's fine. I'll take it as a revenge fantasy in my little tiny, <laughs> filthy corner of show business I scrabbled my way into once. Okay. All right. But in the meantime, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah, don't know where you found this particular episode of this podcast, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. Uh, I will start trying to do more there as things calm down after this weekend. Yes. But our Facebook page is facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. We are on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. Yep. Uh, We are on Tumblr. (laughs) I guess. I haven't checked for a while. I think we're still there. (laughs) Crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. We are on iTunes. And if that's how you like to get your podcast, you can subscribe to us through there. Please do. You can also give us a rating, give us a, re- a review. It helps new people find the show, particularly as the show goes back to weekly. I swear <laughs> to God, <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Yes. We are also on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn Radio. You can find us on Google Play Music. Uh, we're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Uh, you can always email us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. And I'm dead serious. I, I won't mock you. If there's if you're listening and you're on Captain Marvel's side in Civil War II, I'd love to hear somebody justify it because I can't figure out how the fuck you can do that. Yeah. If you are down with uh, going after people for thought crimes, please explain to us your reasoning. Yeah. You don't even have to use your real name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that's it. Did I leave anything else? Yeah, that's it. All right. So this has been episode 130 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Rapscallion Hobo will be a world music EDM polka fusion. I want you to beat me unconscious. (laughs) 